Before we get started today, I, I want to remind you that it's not okay to drive stone. The truth is that your reaction times slow way down when you're high, and you're not only putting yourself in danger, but everyone around you. So stop kidding yourself. If you've been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, obviously you're going to drive different. Learn more at nitsa.gov. That's nhtsa.gov. Drive high, get a DUI. All right, time to talk Utah Jazz with Mr. Utah Jazz, David Locke, radio voice of the Jazz founder of the Locked On Podcast Network, also a daily jazz podcast that Locked On Jazz that in many ways is the inspiration for this show, as you guys have probably heard me say before when we've had him on many a time because he's a legendary guest. Uh, how's your summer treating you? It's been great. It's, uh, both the kids got incredible life experiences, which um, you'll find out here at some point, Mr. Duncan, actually dictates how your summers are. <laughs> and then my wife and I had a nice time. They spent most of our money, but um, we had a nice time as well we had one good family trip and then my wife and i took one trip and the and the kids really both really truly like that's what drives the summer we've had a great time but both the kids got uh once in a lifetime experiences this in their worlds and it's neat to see them grow up and have those yeah well if if they're having a good time you're probably happy like the the family's probably happy so uh a, a sullen teenagers i i hear uh are not not that great i'm sure that that will be referenced uh by my parents at the wedding <laughs> this weekend <laughs> <laughs> yes well i we are very blessed right now we do not have sullen teenagers we've got two great kids that we um we enjoy spending every single day with that we can so we're we're lucky right now. We'll see how long that well, lasts. And speaking of great people, the Utah Jazz, a high character organization, they they put all of their emphasis on that. And so I, I think the place to start with these guys, and the, where this thing is a more interesting question than a lot, is how good these guys were last year. They finished forty eight and thirty four, but they were on a, an absolute tear. I'm sure I don't have the exact stats memorized. I think they were like you know thirty one and five at the end or something with with Rudy Gobert in the lineup. But you know, I mean, let's just before we talk about whether it's repeatable just what did they do last year in that last healthy stretch over uh the final third of the season it's actually the final half of the season and i think that's relevant like because one of the things that you can really make mistakes on when you're evaluating players or teams in this league is that last 20 30 game surge at the end of the year and thinking it's going to translate to the next season i think that's probably where you make the most mistakes um evaluating someone and if you look at the jazz for the last 41 you know 40 games of the season uh they were they were i think that the rockets and warriors let off but they were the statistically best team in the league um and what they really did is that defensively they were so much better than the league that the best way i can describe it is they were way better way better this is great analysis way better defensively in that time period than the Rockets and Warriors were compared to the league offensively. I think it's hard to like, well, like what's a great team, right? Defensively. But if we take a look at the last 41 games of the year, the Jazz defensive rating was a 98.5. The league average in that time period was a 107. So they're nearly nine points better than league average. Let's take the offense in the final 41 games. The best team in the league was Denver at 112. 12.5 the league average is 107 so they're like seven points better like they were 
Houston in that time period was a 111. Golden State was a 111, basically. So those guys were four and five points better than league average offensively. The Jazz were nine points better than league average defensively. Yeah, and generally, correct me if I'm wrong here, I believe that usually there is a greater separation between the best and worst teams offensively than there is defensively, and the Jazz kind of turned that on their head. So statistically, I mean, that uh, the offense, I think, was solid. You know, maybe there's reason and believe that'll get better this year but statistically what was there anything unsustainable in your opinion about that performance or can we expect something like that again this season well i'm gonna ask you a little bit and i actually was like i've been dying to just call pelton and pep, pep pepper him with these questions because it's really interesting for me nate my instinct just as a probably similar to you i'm a doubter like i'm not a I'm not a guy who believes that it's all going to be great. Like my dad raised me and my dad as a Stanford football fan. (laughs) Like if we score, if we scored on the first touchdown drive with like Elway at the helm in like five plays, you know what he would always say? Way too easy. Going to be a problem. (laughs) Way too easy. Right? Like, oh, that's a bad sign. And so that's who I am. Like, I got it. I mean, I, I understand what we did. I can look at the last 41 games and look at our 40 games and look at our record and, and say, wow, the Jazz in that time period were 31-9. and nine. And I can look at the numbers, and that's a 60-pace win team, and all the same guys are back, and the defense, and, and I'm just not one to believe it. So I have actually, for the last month, frankly, been doing everything I can to go poke holes in it, and I haven't found it. And here's the thing that was most interesting to me is that I went back and analyzed the first half of the jazz. And Nate, I am, would love it if you po- – it would make me sleep better at night if you poked yeah. holes in this because this type of optimism I'm about to share makes me really uncomfortable. So I went back to the first half of the season kind of because of what we were just talking about, that the last half of the last 20 games is a really faulty way to make an evaluation, right? Like part of the reason the Jazz numbers are so great is they played Golden State, beat them by 40 when Quinton Cook and Kevin Looney were the pick and roll combination, right? Like that's not the Warriors. But this is some of the stuff I found, and I'd be curious to know what you think of this. In the first 40 games of the year, the Jazz had three players that were negative in their plus-minus. Joe Johnson, Rodney Hood, and Ricky Rubio was like minus .3. Yeah. When Ricky Rubio was on the floor without Joe Johnson and without Rodney Hood, he was a plus 5.4. When he was on the floor for 132 minutes with those two guys, they were minus 26 point three minus twenty six point three yeah, i mean that, and that's uh, the addition by subtraction of moving on from joe johnson and rodney hood i think it was a, a big part of it and although you know maybe here's one thing that you could poke a hole in since you asked me to uh is i think there are always going to be players and not always but a lot of times and this is one of the deepest teams in the nba but there's always going to be players who just for whatever reason don't have it. like joe johnson was really good to years ago and obviously was an age regression candidate and then last year you know they didn't play well with him on the floor and and whether you know it's because someone has been recruited as a free agent to come and play or whether you know they just have a lot of respect the coaching staff feels like you know hey we got to either keep playing this guy for locker room harmony or you know he's going to turn it around even though we know he hasn't really been that effective so at the start of the year i think you can be more prone maybe to having guys who just aren't effective because it's a new year and maybe guys are struggling with injuries or you know they're 
they're just not as good or they didn't have a good summer or they're going through something personal or whatever it is that you know you might just have some combinations at the beginning of the year that that aren't going to work I, I trust Quinn Snyder more than most to be able to find to excise those as the season goes on I think generally the Jazz have been a much better second half team uh but you know it, there does seem to be something to the idea that you just you can't just pick up right where you left off the last year unless you're the 15-16 Warriors well I so, all right, let, let's address two things. I think your first thing is absolutely accurate, that particularly up to the trade deadline, players who are negatives get played, right, for various reasons. You know, if the Jazz bench Rodney Hood for the three weeks prior to the trade deadline, they're not getting Jay Crowder in that deal, right? Yeah. You need Rodney Hood to have some value. Um, so I, and Joe Johnson, um, you know, I think there's a respect level to icons of this league that you have to have if you're going to coach in this league. So I, I agree with you. Here's the thing. And, and I, and I generally agree with the premise that you don't pick up where you left off, except for like, what happens if I start to prove to you that what the jazz second half run was, was really an 82 game run. So favors and Gobert first half of the season are plus 7.4 Gobert and Jonas are plus seven. Now that's Jay Crowder. They never had it. Favors and Tabo, which will be one of the other power forts, was plus seven. Favors and Jonas, which is now Jay, plus nine. If all these numbers are if you take Rodney Hood and Joe Johnson off the floor. Rodney Hood's defensive rating was a 107.5. How in God's name do you do that if you play with Rudy Gobert? Yeah. Unless you're just not engaged. So I got to tell you, at this point, and then I'll agree with your last premise. My analysis of this team last year, when you ask how good they were, is that they were unbelievable for the final second half of the season, a 40-win team, a 60 playing at a pace of a 61 team that everyone has attributed to Rudy Gobert getting healthy. But if you dig deeper, what you discover is that they were that good all year. They just had to get rid of two pieces that weren't yeah. working, which leads me to believe, maybe wrongfully, that they are in that elite category of teams where they do just pick up where they left off. Well, and that's my hope. Like those I, teams. I really, are- and, and I mean, they have guys who are young enough here that you would expect they would improve. So, yeah, I mean, there's it's very easy to be high on this team statistically statistically even though i think you know for the casual observer maybe they don't have that one absolute superstar i know we've had the argument before that rudy gobert is that guy but for for a lot of fans you know they're they're not going to see him that way um so no i i think was there anything just in the defensive performance that you know like oh a super low opponent three-point percentage or just like incredibly flukily low shooting around the rim or something like any statistical indicators like that that uh, were worrisome the only one that's a little worrisome is the defensive numbers with favors at center aren't yeah. great. But it's a little complicated. Um, but again, if you go and take favors defensive numbers at center without Rodney Hood and without Joe Johnson and without Rudy Gobert on the floor, so now he's the center and he's not playing without those two, then they're actually okay. Yeah. I mean, so that is the... And I thought favors had, in many ways, the best defensive season of his career last year that that game which in many ways seemed like it turned around their season in Detroit last year where I think they came down back from like you know eight down in the final three minutes and uh you know favors was just blocking shots around the rim like crazy that was one performance that really stuck out to me but I thought he was very good defensively last year given you know that he is still a little under undersized as a center so just to back up what I yeah I agree with you and he had a bunch of great and the game's moving his direction if he's healthy um by the way just to back up what I said Favors at center without – so favors on the floor without Rudy Gobert on the floor, which is Derek playing backup center. The Jazz were a 1.0 last year, just and the defensive rating was a 106.3. So you're – 
first piece of analysis there is, wow, that's not very good defensively, and it's not that positive. Go dig in a little deeper. Derek Favors as center without Rudy Gobert, without Joe Johnson, without Rodney Hood, plus 7.3. Yeah. Like, that's... These are the things that I keep finding um, that are that kind of wow that wow me when I start thinking about it. And so, I mean, I think they were the third best team in the NBA last year, and they're probably the third best team right now. Really? Oof. That's that. I don't know if I can quite get behind that. I mean, so you're saying uh, Golden State in Houston? Yeah, and they might be better in Houston. Yeah, and, and this has been another thing that has been a, a topic of conversation for us too. Is that I I think that you know if you they really are trying to either defend or score against uh, the best offense and defenses and i know they were pretty effective in that houston series maybe more so than i thought they would be uh but especially just you know not being able to score against houston uh i think you know boston could solve them similar problems and i think they've also really just struggled against boston not probably unlikely those two teams will match up in the playoffs but if we're talking about you know head to head we split with wait 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 wait, wait, wait. we split with boston last year yeah we won in we won in boston without we i play for them now uh i guess i'm paid by them but yeah well well, with that the Jazz won in the Jazz won. Impressive, they won in that case. Yeah, right. The Jazz won in Boston last year when Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors didn't play. Yeah, uh, although, and then they also lost at home without Kyrie. So, it's, it, but I think it, just over right. the years, it seems like there's been a little bit of it of trouble with Brad Stevens' system where they bring the bigs out high. That's just not true. No, no, I'm, I'm not trying to be a jerk, All but right. th- I mean, I don't have it in front of me, but I think in seventeen eight, so in 16 17 i think we beat them by 30 at home all right there's one time i remember lost there you noting that they were struggling a little bit with boston but oh so yeah. <laughs> but but I mean, that that might have been a couple hey years ago. i mean great defensive teams yeah. i mean this gets into the debate you and i've had a million times which which i love i actually love having this debate because i think it's fascinating but like I, the warriors and the the rockets were the number one and two offensive team in the league and the jazz were the number one defensive team in the league and boston was the number one defensive team in the league they were basically the same last year and the you know when the Jazz cl- clicked in, they were far better than the number one. They were by far the best number one team defense, and and that's just a very hard thing for people to grasp that that's at being as good as the Rockets and the and the Warriors. And the Warriors and Rockets are better than the Jazz last year because their defense was better than the Jazz offense. Yeah, like well, that's... Uh, although it is worth noting, and we don't need to go down this rabbit hole too much, but that with Stephen Curry on the court for the Warriors, they had a one twenty two offensive rating per cleaning the goal yeah i mean so, they're amazing so all right wait a sec by the way i'm wrong i gotta make sure i correct this we lost in 16 17 the jazz lost both games to boston in 15 16 must be when the jazz beat boston by 30 111 93 the jazz beat them so uh and then lost there so the jazz have lost four of the last six to the celtics just want to make right, sure so, i correct so they're myself. getting dominated in other words is what you're saying right exactly <laughs> um yeah i mean i i just remember watching those games that that go bear with al horford in particular and the spacing I, I thought it wasn't as comfortable for the for the jazz in terms of oh and i think you're absolutely right on that but that's because boston's the number one or two defense in the league in the same way that no one's comfortable playing against yeah. the jazz um so they didn't really add much in the offseason other than grace and allen and so I, I think where i want to go next here is just how is the rotation going to shake out for coach Snyder because they have probably you know especially if you're going to say that Allen has the pedigree to play I mean you've got Rubio and Exum and even Neto at the one they've been effective when he's been on the floor in the regular season the last few years they got Mitchell obviously is going to play 
the bulk of the minutes at the two but you know Alec Burks even has been effective at times when when healthy they've got Grayson Allen as well at the three they're pretty stacked Ingles Royce O'Neal who is effective for this team last year Tavis Cephalosha is returning although I suspect maybe he'll play more at the four and then at the four favors who will also play at the five Jay Crowder as well and then at center Rudy Gobert probably favors will play some there they got Epe Udo who's also a solid backup so let's start at between the one and the two because they have a lot of guys who can kind of shift between those positions how do you see it playing out like what is the role going to be I mean Rubio and Mitchell are going to start presumably but what do you see the role being for Dante X him first of all so let me just say the two things and then i'll answer specifically dante and i'm interested in your thoughts i almost feel like particularly with this roster that one two and three just become a little bit of a hodgepodge right so rubio's your one okay i got that he's playing point guard but donovan's gonna have the ball in his hands a bunch joe ingles frankly can have the ball like if you have joe ingles donovan mitchell and alec burks on the floor who's your point guard joe ingles yeah i mean i think they would probably have donovan bring it up a lot or but yeah i mean i, I and snyder's system right. is well suited to that right i mean the, with moving the ball a lot the blender as uh they like to call it you know lots of pick and rolls the jazz running the most pick and rolls in the nba getting guys into the lane uh putting pressure uh, on the defense uh, until it breaks uh you know especially when they're playing conventional pick and roll defense um you know i mean this this team is definitely like they have a lot of ways to attack conventional pick and roll defense that's how they're going to do against switches is something that i think we should probably talk about towards the end but that is uh they do have a lot of guys who can handle the ball and snyder really seems to like that so i so i'll answer your question is like i see dante as a one two and a three like i think he could play any three of those positions as see on the floor with donovan is he the one or is he the two he's on the floor with donovan let's say he's on the floor with joe ingles Dante Exum and Alec Burks, like uh, he might be the three and Joe might be the one. Um, and he's elite defensively, as we saw with what he did to James Harden <clears throat> in the playoffs. So I think you're willing to put him on probably whichever one, two or three you want to. He's, you know, he's really not Trevor. He's a six, nine and unfurls a little bit more than Dante, but they're not crazily different. Yeah. He, I in think the Trevor, sense he's of, got just a little bit more kind of old man strength. You know, you know, I wouldn't want sure. Dante, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, I don't think Dante could do the job on like a Kevin Durant that Ariza did in the, in the West final. I think once you get above a certain amount of height and a certain amount of strength, it becomes more difficult for him at the three. But certainly, I mean, I, you know, I'm not sure. I, I think we might be okay, overrating so Dante I, a I, little I, bit defensively based on, and he was admittedly very good against Harden, but you know, I need to see more of that from him over the course of a full season. I know he was great as a rookie. And then, you know, I think he didn't really get back to that level until his return last year, but we're not talking about quite as many games on a see that he can keep that up over a full season i mean i don't think there's anything definitive that anybody can say about dante he played 14 <laughs> games last year he didn't play right i yeah. mean there's just nothing definitive you can say about him and it's why the jazz signed him to a three-year contract because the jazz didn't the jazz believe there's still development that's going on and so they don't want to they didn't want to sign him to a one-year contract and have that development then finish out with somebody else they wanted it to happen with them um so i would agree so i mean i think i think you're i think you know dante alec burks and royce o'neill as you said it are probably the guys who get the first shot and then it gets really interesting to see what grayson allen can do you know grayson allen can do a lot of things well that dante exum and alec burks don't do as well and, and what's right? that for those who aren't as familiar with him well i would say he the thought is that he pro- he's probably a little bit better on the handle and the passing and he should be a little bit better sh- you know the thought is he's gonna be a little bit better yeah. shooter <clears throat> dante's a way better athlete he's and grayson's a good athlete but dante's world class dante's longer dante's probably better defensively dante 
will probably finish better at the rim. He had a great year finishing in that limited time at the rim. Alec Burks is probably better one-on-one player, better, has some physical strength that Grayson probably doesn't quite have yet. Um, you know, some, uh, and, and so, but I think it'll be interesting just to see as the season goes on, Royce O'Neal's the best defender of all of them, plays incredibly hard, fearless, not intimidated by anybody, decent corner three shooter, um, needs to finish better at the rim. So you have all these different skill sets and it will just be interesting as it all, like maybe it's going to turn out that that second unit of Dante Exum, Alec Burks and Royce O'Neal can't play together because none of them can shoot well enough and Grayson Allen can actually shoot. So then he's got to play with him. Well, now, you know, now he's taking somebody else's minutes. I don't know how that's all going to play out. Maybe it's going to be a early hook for, uh, Joe Ingles so he can circle back with the second unit and Dante goes in and Dante plays with Ricky Rubio and Donovan Mitchell. And now you've got kind of a unique lineup because everybody can I, I don't really know how that's going to play but I think it's going to be interesting to see what skills in that one through three start to complement each other and I do think if Grayson Allen can kind of figure it out he's tough enough he's got basic skills that complement and that are the skills that are needed for this team that he may work himself into that lineup and and have some minutes before too yeah, long my, my comment about Allen I mean I, I generally bet against rookies playing especially when uh, you've got guys uh, with the sort of pedigree that these players who are already there have on this team and especially because i think he might be a little bit undersized but the comment i had about him is that you know i think he's he could be solid at a lot of things like i don't know if he's going to be like an unbelievable shooter but you know you're not going to be able to leave him i think he can make some plays in the pick and roll can get to the rim to some degree he's not an elite passer but he can do that so i think he's a guy who can fit in and just play him in some different roles and he's not going to kill you in any one area which i think you know is kind of nice for coaches other than maybe being a little undersized at the two and he's going to play hard and he'll make hustle plays and boost the energy of the team which is something that you need on a night-to-night basis in the regular season so let's do a quick read here and then i have the big question that i have for this team that i want to ask david uh, right after this all right it's time to tell you all about a new sponsor hello fresh which i was extremely impressed by the first time my fiance and i tried it i guess this is the last time i'll be saying fiance i'm going to say wife uh, on the next read it was these fantastic burgers with a bechamel sauce which is maybe the best burgers I've ever cooked at home. Really, really enjoyed it. I thought that their presentation in comparison to some other meal delivery kits that I've seen was outstanding. Everything was put together because they send you a few of them at a time. All of the ingredients are put together in one bag for each recipe. That was really outstanding. And you can choose from three plans, classic, veggie, and family. And there's even a 20-minute meal on that classic menu each week for when you're really kind of pressed for time as I I often find myself during the season it's really easy to enjoy week after week and you have the ability to choose your delivery date to match your schedule and you can even pause deliveries when you're on vacation the way to get started with them is with $20 off your first three boxes you visit hellofresh.com slash capspace60 for a total of $60 off capspace60 not merely capspace capspace60 it's like receiving six meals free when you go to hellofresh.com slash capspace60 and of course enter that code cap space 60 let them know that you came from us so uh, this is yeah go ahead I, yeah you, you I, wanted to break in I, before I, we, sorry we did that i want to break yeah. in and now i've got now i'm confused because i'm buying product um and doing all that kind of stuff malcolm brogdon four-year university of virginia player i know he wasn't really a rookie of the year but right yeah like why can't grayson allen have that year um i don't think he has the size i don't think he has the ability to finish at the rim um i don't know if he's gonna have the three-point shooting god smile on him the way Malcolm Brogdon did, did that that rookie year um 
And I think he's just not going to have as much opportunity uh, as Malcolm Brogdon did. I mean, so that's uh, those I think are, are the big reasons. And I think, you know, Brogdon's kind of built like a tank. I think he, he's overrated defensively, but he just kind of looks better. But I, I think the biggest reason is just is opportunity. And can I be can I be devil's advocate yeah. here for a second? So one six five two fifteen and the other six five two oh five. They're the same size. <clears throat> Malcolm Brogdon or Grayson Allen's career three-point shooting. I mean, obviously, this is not fair. I came prepared here. Third was, um, oh, man, Manu Ginobili just retired. Oh, wow. Um, oh, that's so sad. Love him. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon shot 38. Grayson Allen shot 38% from three in college. Malcolm Brogdon shot 36.5. Yeah, I, I, I think probably the biggest argument would be that anyone drafted in the 20s or below or even you know in the 30s as Brogdon was just isn't going to play that well. I mean, the, just the odds are against simply that happening for anybody. Okay, can I go my next one? Because there's a trend that's happening here in the league, which you're never going to let me come back on the show, I know. Um, Jason Hart, right? Yeah, he was a guy that stat has uh, liked kind of more than his coaches seemed to for a while. Um, like, uh, wait a sec, I just got yeah. my name wrong. Who's the Who's the Villanova point guard who's really good that's playing for the Lakers? Uh, Josh Hart. Josh Hart. Yeah, Jason Hart played why in Syracuse. He, yeah, why isn't he Josh Hart? Because Josh Hart has a 6'11 I'm, wingspan, and he's way more athletic, and he's, sh- but, he's but shooting he's a, like crazy. A, but off the, the dribble. Okay, but so these are four year and college players. Yeah, Grayson Allen has an eight one standing reach. That's that he that puts Grayson him Allen in a different a, category than he has those a, other guys who really are sure, but he has a forty inch vertical jump. Like you just pick we're just picking and choosing. I mean I think Grayson Allen might have a hard time defensively, but I don't know that that's gonna have an impact offensively. Yeah. Well the Jazz certainly, you know, they've had some hits in that area, to be sure. So I I'm not ruling that out. it's more really to me, you know, I don't have a great evaluation on him. You know, I didn't watch any of his college film. I thought he was fine in summer league it's more just that i think the players ahead of him are just really good nba players and you know rookies generally don't execute as well and and coaches like to go with the guys uh, who uh, they're comfortable with already and have already proven it i generally agree with everything you just said i do think there's a trend going on that four-year college players while they don't have an upside that the younger kids have seem ready to come and play a little bit and we're seeing it year we're seeing one or two a year i think Grayson allen's going to be the one this year so here's the question i wanted to ask you and i think this is all right this is, it's kind of hyper specific but if we're talking about the jazz potentially being as good as, as they are here you know 50 win team you know you're saying they're the third best team in the nba you know they've got to play against houston they've got to play against golden state maybe they got to play against boston uh you know those teams switch defensively and houston other than that game too when i thought houston you know the jazz found something real quick with guys running to the rim and then houston was able to shut that down by being more physical and taking that away and uh, you know switching even earlier uh Houston shut down the Jazz in that series. You know, they won that series on defense. You noted that the Jazz actually did a pretty good job defensively against that Houston powerhouse. How are these guys going to beat switching defenses? Like what, what, what can be, can unlock that? Because I, I can't believe in them really being on the level of a Houston or Golden State until that question gets answered. So bunch of questions, bunch of comments in here. One, I think that's a great question. I think it's something that the coaching staff is, I'm certain, digging into because Part of the essence of who the Jazz are is that they run more picks and more off-ball screens and more handoffs than anyone else in the league. And 
you know, you're getting hit when you play Utah, you're getting hit 30 more times on a screen than any other team in the league and about 50 more times in the league average. It's just a different way of play. But when everyone starts switching everything, then the Jazz got very stagnant against Houston and didn't run all their actions because you're just if you ran all your actions. All you're doing is just getting into 12 seconds on the shot clock. And suddenly now you have to figure out where your isolation matchup is. And it was all you rather break into that at an earlier point. So I think that the challenge for the coaching staff is going to be how do we find a way, if I'm talking as a coaching staff, to maintain the essence and principles of who we are as an offense against switching. I think you're you're absolutely right that that is a huge part. Um, and it's not a team that has great isolation players. Donovan's okay, and Joe Ingles is surprisingly good, and Alec Burks is probably suddenly becomes more valuable if more teams are switching. But after that, that's kind of the run run of it yeah. you're not jay crowder's right. not beating a lot and of people more than off that the... too i would say that rudy gobert one of his big strengths offensively is as a role man and when you're switching now you made this point on on the pod with danny last month once you're once you're switching you're taking away that which is you know a big part of sucking in the defense you know forcing t- the team to rotate defensively so I don't think that the premise of your question has any problem with it at all. And I think that, you know, playing the Warriors and Rockets, those might be the two teams that are better than them, too. Um, so I think that's real. I think, frankly, though, on just on the Rockets end of things, I just go find Carmelo and go after him now. <laughs> right? I mean, it's a huge difference between what they used to have when they have Luke Bamute, Trevor Ariza, James Harden, and Chris Paul, and either Clint Capella or P.J. Tucker on the floor. You can go after Harden, but Harden's a much better defensive player, particularly strength-wise than people give him credit for he definitely has his Olay moments and he looks on YouTube but if you really dig into Harden's defense when he's isolated like that he's not terrible he's not great he's not terrible now you got now you got three guys you can go get Ryan Anderson who couldn't play for them Carmelo and so I think that changes them and and so the premise of what I'm I think is important here is two years ago everyone in the league tried to play offense like the Warriors and a bunch of teams made a complete ass of themselves right they were terrible they all tried to get fast and they tried to move and they tried and they were all terrible you know why because they didn't have Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green distributing in the middle and they they didn't have the per- and they didn't have Andre Gudala younger version. I I'm just not convinced that that many teams in the league can go play five man switching defenses. And the other thing I think that's so key to it is the Warriors had Draymond, the Rockets have Clint Capella and the guys we mentioned two of which aren't there anymore. That's also all they did. That's oh, yeah. all they Absolutely. did. Absolutely. No, that that's They huge. did it for 82 games. It's the essence of who they are. They and when we saw Cleveland try to learn on the fly and we tried to see Oklahoma City try to learn on the fly they made a fool of themselves Oklahoma City went to switching one through five against the Jazz in yeah. that playoff well, series they, and they didn't had, stop them. They had Carmelo. I think when Carmelo was out of the right. game, I thought it actually was pretty effective for them. But So I, I think there's going to be an interesting league-wide phenomenon this year, which is how many teams either become exclusively one through five switching, like the Rockets and the Warriors, or try to integrate it to some level and aren't good at it. Yeah, I, because I, I agree with you. I mean, I think, I think the, it's, <laughs> a lot of it is personnel-based especially i mean it's so much about uh really you know your weak links and there are a few teams that can avoid having weak links and then you also need good help defenders you need good guys who are great communicators behind the play to where okay if draymond green or clint capella gets switched on to a shooter as you're preparing the iso you can get that guy back into where he could be in help position on the iso uh as well and so i think that was another thing that the jazz struggled with and, and also worth noting that the jazz were not healthy. can i jump yeah go ahead sorry right can i jump in one other thing i think important in this conversation this is a great conversation so boston you boston generally switched did some unique things defensively they were the they 
finished the year 0.1 points better than the Jazz or 0.01 points. The number two defense in the league was Utah. They dropped the big. They didn't switch. Number three defense was 76ers. They dropped the big. They didn't switch. Number four defense in the league last year was Spurs. They dropped the big. Toronto was number five. They dropped the big. Houston was number six. They switched. Miami was number seven. They dropped the big. Portland was number eight. They dropped the big. So of the eight best defenses in the NBA last year, six of the eight played drop. I still think that's a bigger impact for the regular season. Maybe in the Western Conference when you face the Houston Rockets and the in the Golden State Warriors at that point in time. And quite honestly, if the Utah Jazz have to worry about that, then I'm all good with it. But I think for the 82-game regular season, dealing with dropping pigs is still a bigger issue than switching. No, I'm in total agreement with you. I think, you know, there'll be... Now, if you're a run-of-the-mill team and you don't have that rim protector and you don't have that great system, I think it'll be a very interesting question. And maybe we'll start to get that answered this year of whether it's just better as your base system to switch with crappy personnel or drop the big with crappy personnel. You know, I think that'll be, I, and I think maybe the answer might be switching, but we'll see. Um, and, and also, I think a lot of it's just based on who the offensive matchup is, too. You know, if you're going against the Utah Jazz, I think, you know, their personnel switching is a lot better. You know, if you're going against a team that doesn't have a great role man and doesn't run a ton of pick and rolls, you know, maybe you're better off. You know, if you're going against the Sixers, for example, maybe a more conventional approach works better. Uh, but yeah, that, that's really interesting. I mean, I guess we, we can get back to this team. Uh, yeah, go and ahead. let me, let me jump. Right one other thing here and i don't know the impact of this but i just think it's worth mentioning i happen to be with a group that was re-watching some of the jazz rockets series the other day um rubio didn't play in that series yeah, yeah i was starting to get to that earlier it's uh yeah and i don't know the i really really don't know because he's not a great isolation yeah. one-on-one player but does he increase your tempo a little bit? Does he get the ball in better spots? Does he? I don't really know the answer on what Rubio would have done, but I do think it's worth just kind of mentioning he wasn't there. And frankly, as much as him not being there, like Royce O'Neal and Donovan Mitchell started. The Jazz were starting two rookies, yeah. one of them which was incredible, against the Rockets in that series. So I, I feel like there's a little something that was lacking there. I don't think it changes that series. I'm not sure it changed the offense a great deal. It's just probably worth a mention. Yeah, and transition is one of the best ways uh, to beat uh, these switching defenses as well. I mean, and, and to me, I you know, I at some point, I think... It, switching it can't just be okay we're gonna do one thing i think when you're talking about beating it and you know we've mentioned now the idea of okay we're gonna switch all year so we know how to do it you know and i think i've been advocating that for a couple of years that like the clippers when they had to go up against the warriors they would switch but they didn't do it against any other team right you got to practice that and i think the warriors even struggled against houston switching and finally because houston was executing it probably even at a better level than the warriors had to that point that you have to get to where you develop habits offensively to beat the switch as well because it's really about habits it's about little tiny things that you can do 15 different things you can do in the course of a possession that maybe you're going to just slightly widen the gap or you know might cause a miscommunication or you know just little tiny things that you know you can't just be like okay we're going to start doing this because there there's so many of them you really have to drill it into guys heads that this is what we're going to do we're going to cut hard we're going to sprint into screens we're going to make sure that the best shooter is uh you know early in a possession that their best help defender is guarding a shooter so we have a little bit better chance at this iso and maybe the guy shoots five percent better at the rim because there isn't as much help i mean there's you know you can have specific plays that are going to beat a switching defense that you put in you know you can drive and then give the ball up and then sprint to the corner the way Steph created there's so many different things that you can do so it can't just be one solution i mean you really have to get into that i think you know if the if i believe in just about anyone in the league to find a way to beat switch 
switching with schemes i think it's the jazz but you know and hopefully their personnel will be better but it, it was clear that you know they just they ended up having to iso way more than they would have liked uh against uh that houston team last year and they got to find a way out of that somehow let me ask you a defensive question if you're the Jazz, you have the you obviously have the best dropping big in the league in Gobert. What style of defense do you play when you have Favors as your center? Yeah, you know he. I, I was a little disappointed in his switching last year. Uh, I thought that he was not as effective in uh, against, like, say James Harden. I think he, you know he kind of got roasted by Harden early in that series, and they tried to stay away from that matchup. I thought they did a better job after Game One of uh, avoiding getting the bigs in that matchup. So I'm not sure. I think favors can hold up and we'll see you know what kind of shape he comes into and you know where he's at from an injury standpoint it's good that he was able to make it through all last year uh without suffering any injuries so i think you could maybe look at switching especially because the jazz have such good size at, at the one you know that they they could look at that and especially because he's playing on second units where maybe you're not facing you know the other team's best offensive creator uh so i think it's something i would certainly look into with him i mean it's an interesting idea that i'm not sure there's a lot of teams that could actually have be able to play both right you're preparing for the jazz and all of a sudden you've got your whole shoot around is how you're attacking gobert or dealing with gobert as a dropping big and the fact that the jazz allow the you know the jazz are one of two teams in the league that were in the top 10 in both not allowing shots in the restricted area and not allowing threes the other being brooklyn and so the jazz you know arguably have built the best money ball um defense in the league and then all of a sudden for 14 minutes a night they're switching everything like I don't, I don't know I don't know I don't know what I think of it because you're cheating two different systems but it gets interesting to me um, and it, it seems like it would be really hard to prepare for yeah and especially when you're doing it you know for four minutes at the start of the second quarter you don't necessarily have to be and you're going against backups you know it doesn't necessarily it's have to point. be as as tight and you know, i mean when the other team doesn't have creators i mean a lot of it i think is just a, a, about personnel um anything that sticks out to you actually one guy i really want to talk about on this team is joe ingles uh who you know he signed that four-year 50 million dollar deal uh i think he was easily worth that uh, last season one of the most underrated players in the nba 62 percent true shooting i thought he increased the versatility of his jump shot it showed a little bit more ability to shoot the three-pointer off the dribble you know he's only a 15 percent usage but can handle and pick and roll a good assist guy uh and i think the jazz have done such a good job of playing his strengths and he holds up reasonably well defensively um was there anything about his performance though that was unsustainable last year do you think he can give them that same level of production yeah. well if it's unsustainable then it's been unsustainable for you know two or yeah. three years in a row um yeah. i mean he's gonna be 31 maybe that's the only the only worry that maybe he takes a little bit of a step back but but i mean right his yeah. i mean his effective field goal percentage is 57 59 and 61 the last three years yeah. but I, I mean i think would you agree with this that he's gotten better every year in a jazz uniform i mean he started on the team at what 27 so Right. Yeah. And it makes no sense. Right. Because guys don't get better from 27 to 28 to 29 to 30 like that doesn't yeah. happen. Um, and guys don't go from 15 to 24 to 32 minutes a night at 28, 29 and 30. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you, the thing that surprised me last year, to his credit, is the year prior in 16, 17, when he played a lot. You began like if he'd go three straight nights of thirty of thirty minutes in a row, then all of a sudden you knew you were prime for a one for seven night from three, or even a three or four game stretch where clearly his legs were gone. Last year he averaged thirty minutes a night. He never had that stretch, and he was as was a consistent three point shooter. Some of his shooting numbers, when you dig into the second level, are are mind like I think he's above fifty percent right corner three yeah, over he likes his that career. Right corner three that usually usually right, left hander like the right corner. 
corner and righty is like the left yeah. corner. So some of those, you mentioned it well in the last two seasons, the jump that he took from being a 38% three-point shooter to a 44% three-point shooter as he added the off-the-bounce three. Um, he's really quite a good pick-and-roll player with his own. He turns it over a little bit too much, but um, he's quite a good pick-and-roll player. I thought it was very interesting that in the 11 playoff games last year, his numbers were actually a little better than the regular season. That doesn't happen very often. Um, and then his value off the court is just remarkable. Um He's deadly serious about being great, and at the same time, the humor and the card and the guy that keeps everyone loose, and at the same time, probably the guy you could go to and talk to about whatever issue is bothering you. And he's also missed four games in his jazz career in four years. Hey, we don't talk about that. I mean, but that, you know, I think that I'm saying that's a, a skill to stay healthy. You know, I think that's. Uh, I, I mean, he's on his streak is one of the longer in the league right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, and just his game, he's so kind of slow and old, old managed, but so. An excellent finisher at the rim actually when he does decide to take shots there uh despite having no right hand whatsoever uh don't tell him i said that but uh <laughs> i think like well he's the best ball faker yes. in the league yeah pass that sounds like a weird thing is one thing that i think you know the jazz yeah. teach pretty well that you know teams really sh- should do more of especially when you get the defense in rotation pass faking can be incredibly effective and i don't think guys use that enough jazz teach a lot of little things um, I mean, I'm yeah. not sharing. I'm not sharing them. I'm just telling you that they do. <laughs> well, yeah. I thought the player you were going to talk about because this is the one that's interesting to me. If may I, sh- I like your opinion on things. Maybe I should just have you on my show instead of derailing well, I, your I entire show. show pretty <laughs> um, so Jay Crowder's impact on the team last year was amazing, right? His plus minus is like it's insane. Um, and Jay Crowder, what didn't seem to be very good, right? Like Jay Crowder shot thirty nine percent from the field and thirty two percent from three in a Jazz uniform while playing twenty eight minutes a night. Like that feels like you read that and you're like, oh my gosh, what a disaster. And then I think the Jazz were about plus five point three when he was on the floor. And then if you take the next level and dig it deeper into him being the power forward with Gobert it's like plus 13 yeah I mean the one criticism you might have of him is that maybe he doesn't need to have over a 20 percent usage uh but I mean I think the fact that he's willing to shoot those shots makes him get guarded out there and spaces the floor out I think even you know he did not shoot the three well but his reputation was enough that uh he needed to be guarded out there and that that helped the Jazz I mean he's only 32 percent from three as I think you mentioned so and you know 46 percent from two is not great given you know what you would hope his role would be um so maybe that's uh, something that they can look to do wait yeah. a sec this is my new hot topic yeah. you just walked into it what was that last sentence uh given what you had 32 percent wasn't that great from three right yeah but i think he th- so 0. 0.96 points per shot yeah it's still better and league yeah, average mid-range shot this. is yeah. 0.79 oh right? yeah well i mean i think it's just you, you would it's just relative to to the league average so yeah i mean and especially if you consider it in the half court i'm not saying that's a bad shot it's just you know given where he's been before in his career you you would hope that it would be better. That was more the point I was making then that he should sure. take. That. And I don't and I don't know the impact of this truly, but get the backstory on him is that his mom passes, he gets traded. That was a pretty awful off season for him. I don't think he was in great physical condition. Um, and just to back that up without knowing, and maybe I'm wrong on Jay Crowder, but like the simple issues that usually say you're not in either one of two things. They say you've you're you're done, right? You're on the back end and it's all falling apart. 
or that you're um, or that you're uh, just not in physical condition or something's off. His dunk numbers the three previous years, 13, 19, 13, three, all with Utah. Not a single dunk in 53 games with Cleveland. Like That's a weird number on how he's being used. His rebounding percentage went from 11, 9, 10 to 7 last year. Okay, those two numbers lead me to say, like, he just wasn't right last year. Or at 27 years old, something's wrong. I think that's too early for something to be wrong. Yeah, and that's so I'm curious hope. if he could I be think better. He has taken a step back defensively, particularly last year, but he, even the year before, he wasn't quite the same uh, in Boston. And I was a little disappointed with what he was able to do defensively one on one when he got matched up against Harden in that or Paul in that Houston series. Uh, but yeah, I think he, you would have to suspect that he will be better in some ways because he, he stepped back in so many ways last year. Um, what's the latest? On, yeah, here's ahead, the th- here's the thing: is nobody wants to be guarded by him. Yeah. Though. Right? That's actually the essence of the jazz like you check into the game who on the jazz roster you're like oh good he's guarding me yeah they don't have a lot of weaknesses it's true Al- Alec like there's Burks, every maybe. single right maybe grayson allen depending on how much he plays yeah. um right but joe ingles is just gonna grab and tickle and pinch and hold and get in your face and bother you and jay crowder's gonna do all sorts of garbage and royce o'neill strong and it's a pain yeah i mean dylan murphy uh, my my buddy always likes to say that opposing players just don't like to be touched and uh joe joe ingles uh d- does a lot of that uh it's a great point it's a great point how do you see uh tabo cephalosha's role shaping out this year to me looking at it it looks like he'll probably be in the mix as a stretch four. but you know this is going to be his age 34 season he's coming off uh another devastating injury he's had a couple of those not all of them uh basketball related unfortunately in the last few years uh, so do you think he's gonna be a major piece of them they did keep him at the the five million dollars but you know they're they're always gonna stay over the cap this year anyway so there wasn't much opportunity cost to keeping him uh you know how's he coming along and do you think he's gonna figure for this team this year i think you've nailed it i think he's the third power forward on the roster so i think favors plays probably what the opening six minutes of the first and third as the power forward with Gobert. And then you go see what the, how the game evolves from there. And so there's 36 minutes of power forward minutes to distribute amongst Jay Crowder, Derek Favors, and Tabo Cephalosha. And I think, what do you figure, Jay gets 24 of them? Yeah, you'd have to think so. I mean, one of those guys will probably have to play some three when Joe Ingles is out of the game. I'd be surprised. You think it'll be more one of the guards kind of moving up into that I think Royce. I think Royce O'Neal will play some of that. And then I think, yeah, I think that Grayson or Dante or Alec or whoever slides. um, I don't think Grayson's playing the three, but just you have seven guys. Guys battling for six spots in there, and I just think that Tabo and I think Tabo and Jay play. Jay played a lot of three last year with the Jazz, though. So to your point, yes. Um, but I think Tabo and Jay play the four for the Jazz. Yeah, and that's how I would like to have him as well. I think the three could be interesting, and then you know if you're going to play, if it's going to be one of those games where Favors is playing more at the four, maybe Crowder or Cephalosha moves down to three, or if you just if you got to really guard like a Kevin Durant, you know Tabo Cephalosha is probably still the best guy to guard, just an absolute wing monster score you know a Kawhi Leonard you know if you're playing one of those teams uh a Gordon Hayward perhaps if you're playing Boston so uh you know I think maybe Tabo still if he can get back to where he was he's the Jazz have a lot of solid defenders as you mentioned there aren't many weak links but Tabo is probably probably the one guy who's just been like an absolute lockdown artist on the wing on this team so maybe he can be more of a specialist in that regard then you know he's gonna have to hit shots obviously you know that's kind of the problem there uh with him worth noting for the Jazz as we get into talking about what the record's going to be this year, 
expected one loss last year 52.4 you know so they actually were 4.4 wins worse than expected despite that incredible run at the end of the year um how do you see this season shaping out i, I forget do you are you uh anti-making predictions am i not going to get that out of you for for a win total this year i mean i, I think i was pretty honest early in the show that just uh, if i evaluate this team and i'm not involved then every indicator that i have this team is just way better than people realize um that the rodney hood joe johnson factor was significant that the explosion after them was yes that rudy got healthy but was also maybe that um, that, you know, those guys were gone. Um, there's an incredible number of what the Jazz record is on games Rodney Hood missed last year, um, even before he left. Um, so I, I am I am of the school that unless there's injury or something has dramatically changed in the game that makes the Jazz defense not the as impactful as it once was, that um, that I, I do think that they that they're that they're considerably better than what people realize. And um, even before the Jazz traded Rodney Hood, let me see if I can find this number for you. I had it somewhere. Um, they had won six of their last seven without him and were five and four on top of that. So uh, 11 and five when he didn't play last year. Like that's through all the Gobert injury stuff, right? No, I mean, there's just so many indicators. I mean, and all of their players who are important. I mean, other than maybe Ingles, uh, you know, Cephalosha only played half the year, if that. Uh, and, and then, I mean, it's amazing how nerdy this podcast has been that we've like mentioned Donovan Mitchell like once. <laughs> I mean, the guy, the guy right. who really is probably most likely to take a big leap forward for this team if he can start hitting some off the bounce threes. Uh, you know, if he can improve his passing just a little bit, you know, just a little bit more efficiency from him. Although, even though I, I even at the level that he was, was fifty four percent true shooting, I think he's really valuable for this team because they just need someone who can create shots, you know, on his own. And so, if he's creating creating all of those even if he's not as efficient he's allowing other players to not have to create those and just to fill into their roles so i think that he, he's important even if he doesn't get more efficient but i think i believe that he's going to get a lot more efficient I, I mean i do think uh we've dealt and probably this is my fault we, we probably have not talked about the two single most important things to this season one is donovan mitchell year two and what that means and whether his natural progression takes place and the other one is ricky rubio having the same coach for the first time in his career back-to-back season since year one and two in minnesota yeah, well, I've heard you make that point before, uh, and I think uh, that's an interesting one. You know, I, th- that's one of those things that for me, it's really it's hard to quantify. Uh, so uh, I think it's it's important, but you know, Rubio is just such an. I mean, this this team is just like an all star team of guys who you know I think are, are hard to evaluate. I think Donovan, in some ways, you know, Donovan Mitchell is you know a lot of people would say that he's actually kind of overrated because he's not as efficient and blah blah blah. I, I don't agree with that. I I had him as rookie of the year last year over Ben Simmons. Uh, I was not in the majority on that one. Um, Rudy Gobert, another guy who just, you know, his contributions are not as obvious, just looking at the traditional box score. Rubio has been, you know, a plus minus monster for much of his career, but, you know, he, he also has a lot of stuff on film, his his shooting, which has gotten better, but teams still leave him, as Tom Thibodeau would tell you. Uh, so there are a lot of guys on this team who, you know, are a little harder to evaluate. And, you know, you, you look at this team on paper, and it's like all right is this really a 55 win team which is you know it seems like that's kind of the level you're talking about for them i might be a little below there it's it's really just a a fascinating team and one that i also really enjoy from to see what wrinkles snyder comes up with from a coaching perspective as well the question is how good can they be offensively right unless something's changed at the best defensive team in the league 
or unless Oklahoma City gets there yeah. somehow. Yeah, that's a good question. What Boston. do you see him as uh, offensively? I, I, I don't know. The, I mean, that that gets to Rubio. Yeah. So Rubio in the final 23 games. And again, this I, I don't like final 23 games. I think that's a bad analysis point. Um, so then you have to try to figure out where you're going to take it instead. But in the final 23 games, just post-All-Star break, he shot 44% from the field and 41% from three. Average 15 points, five rebounds, six assists. Like, they have that guy? If Rubio is a 15-5-6 guy? with a 44-40 with an effective field goal percentage that's above league average? Oh, my. Right? Then they might be top 10 offensively. Well, and here's another thing that I think looking at some of their fundamentals is huge. They were 25th in turnover percentage last year. Now, some of that, I think, is their system uh, because you're passing the ball a lot. You're operating late into the shot clock. The longer you go in the shot clock without taking a shot, the more chances you have to turn it over. The more passes you make, the more times you put the ball on the floor, the more pick and rolls you run. Uh, but you know and Rubio is you know a relatively high turnover player you mentioned Joe Ingles as well Gobert has his fair share of turnovers for what his role is and then Mitchell of course you know as a rookie to get that the kind of usage he had was really impressive but you know rookies usually can bring down their turnovers that's we've talked about his shooting off the dribble but that's a, another target but you know if they can get that turnover percentage down to around league average you could see this offense nearing the top 10 even if they don't get much better because they're actually ninth overall in e-field goal percentage don't see him getting much better than 20th in offensive rebound it's just kind of their system and, and you know they get to the foul line a lot uh, as well especially with Gobert favors those are guys who get to the foul line so uh you know i think that the turnovers is probably the lowest hanging fruit in their statistical profile but i do think it has a little bit to do with how they play um but Ricky had a big problem with turnovers to start the year. He threw the ball all over the gym. Joe Ingles turns the ball over a lot. It's a little bit of who he is. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, Ricky threw the ball all over the gym, and I don't think his turnovers decreased as the year went on. It just they were better turnovers, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I agree with you on the turnovers. I do. I'm not a big. Uh, there's never. I never found a correlation between turnovers and winning, and I actually haven't always found a turnover rate correlation between turnovers and good um, offense. And I actually might say that the turnovers. The reason the Jazz are eighth in the league in effective field goal percentage is because they're willing to make passes that are often yeah. turnovers. So I'm not. I agree. With, yes, I agree with you that they could reduce that number, but I get nervous about at what expense. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, you have to, and that's what, part of why turnovers are a good indication of, of guys who can improve because they're at least, you know, seeing the play, they can, they're willing to take the risk to try to make it a lot of times. Um, what do you think Donovan does this year? Oh, that's a really interesting question. You know, I think it's going to be a, a more incremental improvement. Uh, you know, maybe he's can get up to 31 or 32% on those off the dribble three pointers. Uh, you know, I mean, and that's, that's a key shot as well for beating the switches, right? I mean, if you, and just beating conventional pick and roll defense as well, if you really have to, you know, I don't think that when he would ISO last year, Houston was that worried about him pulling up off the bounce for a three, you know, and if you are now really worried about that and he he can blow by and get to the rim and finish with those beautiful scoop shots or uh force emergency help and set guys up i think that really is one of their outs as far as getting better against switches but you know i mean i think maybe he if he can just get up to you know 56 percent true shooting instead of 54 percent, cut the turnovers down add you know he'll throw some really nice passes uh to be sure you know that was one of the big surprises for him but you'd like to see that a little bit more consistently uh and you know keep the usage about the same i think i you would be very happy with that uh, as a J 
jazz fan to just you know a little bit more refinement i, mean, I think his you know he's already he's gonna be 22 this year you know i think i don't know if you're gonna see an enormous leap for him but you know i, I think you're gonna see incremental improvement every year and then you turn around at 25 and oh this guy's one of the best players in the nba you know i think that's kind of where how it's gonna happen for him i i think you hit it um the month that's interesting to me is december um, so in December, he shot 50% from the field, 36% from three, and had a true shooting percentage of 61%. Now that's insane. And he never, he got, he was 55 in January. He probably also had to have gotten tired at some point last year, right? Like he didn't. His, three, his March three-point shooting drops to 29%. It's kind of interesting to me. Like, if you drop that whole month, maybe he's tired, maybe, you know, he's a rookie, right? And they get that number back up? It, I don't know. It's I'm trying to figure out. I don't have an answer um, of where he goes and what he does, but I do think that um, – I do think the jump could be significant. All right. Well, I need to get on record with my prediction here. Uh, yeah. I avoided it really yeah, well. No, no. I, I'm putting you down for 55-ish as my uh, – I, I always put like a question mark next to you. I, I try to just read the tea leaves of what you're saying and, and throw it in there. I think they're going to be – I think they're going to be really good. Yeah. And I think they're going to – I think two things. I think they're going to be really, really good. I think they have depth so that they can handle some things during the year. And I don't think anyone wants to play them. Like just – yeah. January 16th and you've, you've got to come into Utah and play at altitude and have Joe Ingles bother you all night. That sucks. And you're not going to be able to get to the rim because of Rudy Gobert. I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Like, I just don't think anybody wants to play him. Yeah, and I think it, the one thing that I worry about with this, so, so I'll do my prediction. I, I'm going to go with 52 this year and if anything, you know, if I had to pick whether they're going to be higher or lower, I, I would pick higher but uh, because they were basically had the statistical profile of 52 in team last year. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, and certainly if Mitchell gets way better you know and you know you're probably talking about two potential top 15 players in the NBA if Mitchell really can take a step forward you know or certainly and then you know you've probably got a bunch of other guys who again there aren't that many weaknesses on this team Gobert's health worries me you know he's been missing 20 games a year most of the time uh I think two years ago he was pretty healthy but uh you know he's definitely had some injury problems um and then even two years ago he, he had the issues in the playoff as well so um yeah 52 but i i think you know best case scenario for these guys they could be the number nine offense and the number one defense and you know that could be a 56 win team 57 win team uh i think that's uh so i'll probably go with 57 as as a best case here but uh no i think they could be really really good you know and the number three seed in the west is not out of reach and and i you know, i haven't done my predictions for the other teams yet but i'm guessing they're probably going to be predicted by me as the number three seed and who's your two rockets yeah warriors warriors probably is one i, I haven't done I, I guess warriors i did 60 warriors should be one right and uh i haven't done the rockets yet i got it i usually don't wait i make my prediction at the end of this podcast i think just talking about them and thinking about them for an hour is pretty useful um do you have a team that you do you have who are your two western conference non-playoff teams don't know yet I'm still, uh, I do my official predictions at the, the day before the season. But, uh, you know, I'm worried about the Spurs for sure. I think that's one. Um, but I'm not sure that, uh, like, I could see all of these teams as having, you know, greater than a 50% chance of making the playoffs. It's just, you know, who's going to suffer injuries or drop off. Do you realize the Spurs don't have Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, or Tim Duncan anymore? Yeah, or uh, Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> 
<laughs> right, but the other two have been there. The other three have been there for just really weird. Like, well, Spurs are just so tremendously different than what you're used to seeing. Yeah, it's good. and you know, I have a lot of complex thoughts about the Spurs because I think they they didn't get enough credit for a long time. Then they finally got appropriate credit after 2014, and then they've probably almost gotten too much of the benefit of the doubt over the last two or three years in a lot, both on the floor and, and with off the floor with with some of their moves. Um, let me let me get my worst case scenario for these guys just because. Uh, for the jazz just because i want to get it on record here i mean unless something disastrous happens with gobert it's pretty tough for me to see them below 45 wins um and even then and last year by the way i i predicted 41 and i had a best case scenario of 46 so uh yeah th- those are both very wrong oh wait no i had a best case scenario of 49 um and and, and I, I i think what's really you'll be glad to know interesting to this next to your name by the way from, from last year just like it's I good this year um i think what's really really interesting to this is what you went back and talked about earlier. That this is a team that just doesn't match what we think of as good teams, and yet they were good enough last year, and they're coached well enough that we're all kind of just buying into it. Right? It doesn't match. Like when we want to talk about good teams, we want to talk about Tatum and Hayward and Kyrie Irving, and I mean that team's great, right? Jalen Brown, and James Harden, and Chris Paul, and and those teams. You know, maybe Boston's going to turn out to be better than Utah, and so Utah's not the third best team in the league. But you, you, you know, Andrew Wiggins and Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns and Jeff Teague, like that matches Nikola Jokic and Gary Harris. Like this team doesn't have that, and yet somehow we're all kind of at least you know now buying into that they might be really good. Yeah, well, it's because they were really good last year and they won i mean i think just the fact that they won that first round playoff series too you know that's probably got people higher on them that, than if they had lost that series so that's uh that's something that you can point to also whereas you know i i thought so much of that first round in the west last year was matchup based and i think it's going to be like that again this year maybe maybe utah can just be so good that it doesn't matter who they play outside of the rockets or warriors but uh you know maybe they'll get to that point but i think for a lot of those other teams trying to predict who's going to make it to the second round out of that group is exceedingly difficult um all right any other thing that you're really like watching with these guys before we go that's uh i mean obviously you'll be watching everything but that we didn't hit on that you think is an important point for this team no i mean i think the three biggest stories are donovan year two ricky rubio with quinn snyder and then who is Jay Crowder and how does he fit in and, you know, and thus how do you close, right? Yeah. And to that, um, I would add Gobert's health as well. That's that's one that right, is right. really just... I don't think there's an unknown there, yeah. though. Those, the three I'm talking about, I think, are still all unknown. And then, and number four, I think, is the Jazz have two guys the exact same age and Grayson Allen and Dante Exum and then still probably don't know what you're getting out of either. Yeah, but the good news is they have enough guys who are proven that can come in, even if you're not getting great performance out of either of those guys guys but yeah i mean exum's another guy who could take a big leap forward on this team and they have a lot of those candidates uh, so that's a, a, and maybe exum can be part of uh, again that guy who can beat a switching defense so he's gonna have to get some actual moves that's that's one thing that's uh that's holding him back a little bit now and, and the ability to make even like a two-point jumper off the dribble is is important if you're gonna put the ball in his hands more um but right. he does have that he's blessed with that great speed i think he's got pretty good natural vision and his finishing has really improved it as he's gotten a little bit more core strength and lower body strength but uh all right thanks so much for joining us and uh don't forget about uh locked on sports the twitter handle and then if you're a jazz fan obviously if you're not listening to david's podcast that is probably the biggest piece of media you could be following with the jazz and, and the locked on network has shows for every single nba team uh and we've obviously featured a lot of their hosts on these previews as you've gotten to know them so uh thanks again for joining us david we appreciate it my pleasure keep up the great work dunked on is this is an impressive staple and your preview series 
always is um, a must for me as a prep of a play-by-play announcer. So I greatly appreciate you taking the time to do all these interviews and all the people that do them with you. All right. Thanks, sir. Bucks here. Time for the Milwaukee Bucks <laughs> preview. Those shirts, by the way, Bucks here shirts available. NateDuncanNBA.com. Click on the merch tab. Uh, we're, we're actually having uh, poker and blackjack at the wedding. And the winners, you know, they're not going to get actual money, but they're going to get prizes. And some of the prizes I'm going to give out to, you know, maybe like the sixth place winner will be like one of those one of those dunked on t-shirts. But enough about me. Is, this is all about our guest here, Frank Madden of Locked on Bucks. Great to have you back again, man. Good to be here. Um, you're getting ready for a wedding. I'm uh, getting ready tomorrow to get on a plane with a seven-month-old so um i I don't know different types of stress but um uh congrats on the on the upcoming wedding and um congrats to me for hopefully surviving a flight with a with a seven-month-old but um good times uh all around to be uh uh, i guess a bucks fan excited to to think about the bucks again which um i feel like you know that there haven't been that many times in the last 25 years of being a bucks fan where i can say that so um, it's it's nice to be back with you, Nate, and it's nice uh, for a change to actually be thinking about the Milwaukee yeah, Bucks. Yeah, well, and it seems like with, you know, that you've got Giannis, like the team has gotten better over the last few years. They've been a playoff team, but yet you know, Bucks Twitter is nearly legendary for its uh, <laughs> disdain of, you know, what the organization, what the coaching staff has been doing, how they've built around Giannis. Uh, has the hiring of Mike Budenholzer quelled those concerns to some degree? Uh, well, you're right. There, there is sort of a love-hate uh, side of, of Bucks Twitter, Bucks fandom. We love Giannis. We hate everything else. I think that's generally <laughs> our, our kind of our mo. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you know, <laughs> in the grand scheme of momentous days in uh, recent Bucks history, I think sort of the, the, the firing of Jason Kidd was was certainly a uh, a big one for uh, for certainly Bucks Twitter. Uh, a feeling of of huge relief when that happened. I think I want to say Nate that was was that like the day or the week that you guys did your countdown of of coaches in the league and and Jason Kidd was dead last. I, I feel like that happened right around the same time. I don't uh, know if you remember, did but it on um, Stitcher Premium and as Danny and I were recording, the news of Jason Kidd's firing was released. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> so I, I think and I think if if I was going to say there's like one thing that um, is is largely fueling Bucks fan optimism coming into this season. I mean, obviously everything starts with Giannis, but I think if there is, um, you know, kind of a fundamental excitement with this team and a reason to be, you know, more optimistic and we'll get into, you know, last year's point differential and sort of how we think about what this team's going to be this year. But I think if there's, you know, one overriding thing about why Bucks fans are excited about this year relative to sort of expectations or maybe feeling like the rest of the league and, and, you know, other fans are like, Oh, they're, they're kind of sleep on the bucks. It's because of this feeling of, Hey, we finally have a real coaching staff, <laughs> a head coach who's not going to do really weird, crazy things that, you know, are fighting math and, and don't make sense. And, um, you know, make you want to kind of pull your hair out. So, um, I, I think, you know, regardless of who they hired, I think there would have been a lot of, uh, excitement for, for this coming season, just, just a change from, from the coaching staff of the last, uh, the last four years. Um, but certainly Budenholzer was, you know, I think the, the guy that a lot of people zoned zeroed in on as, as a guy that, you know, seemed very competent. And, and if anything, you know, um, maybe he doesn't have as much upside as maybe, you know, like a, an assistant who, um, you know, again, would bring more risk as well. But, 
certainly as a guy who has won a ton of games has the the pop coaching tree pedigree um i think people are, are certainly excited about him um i think it's gonna be interesting you know the um you know not just the impact of mike budenholzer the coach but bike Mudenholzer, <laughs> the shadowed the shadow gm who uh i think has already been <laughs> leaving his fingerprints on uh, on the roster so um we'll see um i don't you know again uh, i mean Okay, is is Mike Boonholzer, you know, in, in the Brad Stevens, um, you know, Pop Spolstra, uh, Kerr category? No, um, but is he a guy that I think can be a top ten coach? Yeah, I think so, and so I think that's certainly something to be excited about. And you know, again, almost almost anxiety, like we've been waiting to see what this team can do without uh, Jason Kidd, and and now we're actually going to yeah. see it. So uh, excitement, but also kind of curiosity. Well, too. Yeah, and that's uh, what I said basically is that us prognosticators who were shitting all over Jason Kidd for the last three. <laughs> <laughs> and we're shitting all over Joe Prunty and you played Tyler Zeller in the first quarter of a game seven and you lost the game right there and you played Jason Terry 20 minutes in the in a, a game seven uh, but it's a coach a playoff coach I would generously say is unproven but uh as a regular season coach I hope like we have to put our money where our mouths are or at least I do because I said this team has a ton of talent and the coaching staff was holding them back well the talent's all still there I mean they lost Jabari but Jabari wasn't helping them win games last year so I mean if I I'm going to make a prediction for this year. We won't get to it exactly, but you have to say, hey, they're going to be very improved this year. And I think, you know, that starts, of course, on the defensive end. So, I mean, where are we starting from as a baseline with this team right now? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because last year they won 44 games. But, um, you know, the point differential, which I know, I mean, uh, you guys obviously always like to, to kind of use as a starting point, right, to think about, you know, strip out the luck that comes with, you know, over the course of an 82 game season, which oftentimes doesn't carry over to a falling season. I mean, this team, I think, was I, I forget the final number, but I think they were outscored by a couple points yeah. over the course of that full season. And interestingly, they're in that that band where if you go on NBA.com, they they technically have a positive net rating, even though they were outscored just because they're in that weird band where their, you know, possession estimates were different, yeah. you know, for, for their team yeah. versus the other team. So but they, they were outscored that they, they had, you know, you go to basketball reference there. They have a 40 win um, projection using their, their Pythagorean uh, estimate. And so. Um, so, yeah, this was a team that you could say was lucky to win 44 games last year. They were a team that, um, you know, had good clutch ratings um Giannis and Bledsoe in particular were really efficient scorers late in games and hey I'd love to think that's because they're just super clutch guys and they're always going to do that but obviously um when you think about as a baseline um it it is a little bit of a push and pull because I I, you know I I think a year ago when I was here I said I thought this team would win 45 games and well I was close in raw terms with winning 44 but um certainly an argument could be made that they, they weren't quite as good um but obviously tough to disentangle that from the fact that you had Jason Kidd coaching half the season then you have Joe Prunty parachuting in um you know you had uh the same coaching staff obviously I don't think anybody expected that there was going to be some you know magical fog lifted all over the bucks just just by firing kid I think you know certainly um you're going to need to have a new staff a something off season to, to bring in a new defensive system in particular but um so it, it's it's kind of difficult and obviously as we think about prognosticating them you know it's it's really about trying to figure out like well you know what really is the baseline of talent on this team and obviously everything starts with Giannis um and the fact that he I think is you know what is he third in the the MVP 
um, preseason uh, odds. I think something like that. He might um, be my so pick, you, actually. You ha- I, I haven't yeah, I mean, I think certainly going to be right up there. Yeah, I mean, I think there's certainly a narrative where this team, you know, wins 50 games and is a top four seed. And Giannis is Giannis, right? Even if he's not dramatically better statistically than he was a year ago, um, where, you know, that narrative can take over and, you know, look at the Bucks being all exciting and fun and and new. Right. Which oftentimes plays a role in, in MVP voting and, and the narratives around it. So um, I think there's there's definitely that kind of upside. And I know we're like kind of jumping usually the things we talk about last, but um, there's definitely a ton of upside here to, to you know, go well above that what they were a year ago. Um, and certainly, you know, with with Giannis, um, you know, they don't have certainly certainly that second superstar. Um, but Chris Middleton finished last year, certainly on a very strong note in the playoffs with um, just, you know, he was just a human flame against the, the Celtics, um, kind of erasing a lot of the um, issues he had in his previous right. two playoff series against the Raptors the year before. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, so they're coming in, I think, with with a lot of excitement about those two. And um, and then certainly I think the rest of the roster, a lot of questions. But, um, you know, yeah, as you said, there's there's definitely talent here to be good on both ends. How do you expect Budenholzer to change it? And just to so we have it here last season, the 12th ranked offense in the NBA, the 18th ranked defense per cleaning the glass. Although worth noting that with Giannis on the floor, they actually were an above average defense. It just really fell apart whenever he didn't play. Uh, but how do you expect we start with the defense first to see things change under Budenholzer just in general and I mean, has there been anything specific about like what his plans are that's come out yet um yeah it's it's an interesting question because i think one of the things that came up with bucks fans when budenholzer was first kind of discussed as a candidate was this kind of like lingering concern that you know after years of of jason kidd playing this overly aggressive scheme um and then looking at kind of what budenholzer has done in in atlanta and, and kind of thinking wait a minute was Budenholzer just kind of like the effective version of Jason Kidd defensively? Yeah. Like, I mean, they had obviously some much better defenses there, um, but there were some aspects of what they did where they were more aggressive. They, you know, um, you know, struggled on the defensive glass, much like the Bucks did. Um, but they, you know, ultimately were much better defensively. I mean, I think the results sort of spoke for themselves. The Bucks had kind of like that first year pretty lucky top five finish defensively with kid. And then, you know, the years after that were consistently in the low twenties. And, and you just mentioned last year, you know, 18th per, per cleaning the glass. So, um, you know, the results just never were there with the bucks. And, and again, I, I think, you know, a lot of times with defenses, I mean, I, I think certainly, um, I, I would favor a, a more conservative scheme and, and certainly what we saw with, with the bucks in the playoffs, they have the personnel to be a very switchy team, um, you know, or, or, and if they play, you know, a traditional center, which certainly you expect to do a lot of this this year, given some of the moves, um, you know, I think you could see them also just playing kind of a standard zone drop defense. But um, I think what we've heard um, kind of murmurs of is that especially with, you know, the Bucks going out and signing Brooke Lopez, um, you're, you're probably not going to run a, a super switch, switchy scheme, at least yeah. with, you know, sort of one five pick and rolls. Um, you'd expect Lopez to start. And I think the talk has been that they'll likely be pretty conservative, just zone dropping um, Lopez, which, you know, you, it's interesting. You look at um, you look at Lopez's history and, and you know, with cleaning the glass as soon as that that signing happened, I was kind of looking through his stats. And it's interesting because, I mean, say what you will, Brooke Lopez, obviously he's not like an impact defender per se, but he has a long history of doing some things that, that maybe he doesn't get credit for. I mean, the opponent shot charts when he was on the floor, you know, far fewer shots at the rim, many more shots from mid range. Um, and also he has that usual Lopez brother effect where, you know, he grabs like no rebounds yeah. himself defensively, but his teams were always much better defensive rebounding. So um, I think he's, I, I expect he'll be the starter. Um, I, I imagine that again, he'll probably be used like you would expect Brooke Lopez to be used. But then again, 
Um, with some of the other personnel, I mean, who knows what Thon Maker's role will be this year after a really disappointing regular season a year ago and then kind of a phenomenal couple games in the playoffs defensively. Um, if you bring a guy like Thon out, then obviously I would say, well, that's the kind of guy that you would want to do much more switching with. So we'll see how much they kind of change based on personnel. Um, but, uh, you know, again, I think one thing I've, I've heard just from folks talking around the team is, you know, this, this confidence that, all right, we're finally going to be good defensively. And again, we've been hoping to see that for a few years now, but certainly with Budenholzer and his track record, um, I think certainly a lot more reason for optimism. Yeah. And to go back to that track record, top five defenses until last year when the, obviously they just didn't have the personnel. You mentioned they struggled uh, on the defensive glass, uh, even, uh, with Dwight Howard there two years ago they weren't a great defensive rebounding team but they're also pretty much top five in turnovers for us even last year they were that and even with a very young team a year ago one of the biggest things that I think Budenholzer can improve other than just the general consistency of rotations and cutting down on mistakes I, I in particular Bledsoe you will hope that he'll have a good effect on because it, he you know Bledsoe is all over the place but not fouling you know the he comes from the Spurs system the Spurs do a great job of not fouling defensively and those Atlanta teams had smart players certainly but have never been outside of the top 10 even last year with a young team were ninth in opponent free throw rate and this Bucks team is annually among the leads worst in that category yeah and, and I think discipline was just generally a, became an issue those last few, three three years in particular with Kidd and um, again I mean even if Jason Kidd didn't have a lot of his other you know warts as a coach I mean, at some point when teams just don't defend year after year, I mean, I think it's just really hard to turn that ship around. Um, so I think even if you even if you took a charitable reading of Jason Kidd and some of his philosophies at some point, I mean, as players, especially, I mean, a lot of these guys have been around, you know, I mean, Middleton, Giannis, I mean, the vast majority of their NBA careers have been under Jason Kidd. At some point, you need a new voice, right? So even I think if you had a more charitable reading of, of Kidd's tenure and what he was trying to do, um, I think there's a there was just an obvious need for a new voice, a new approach. And obviously, you just hope with, with Budenholzer that, again, that track record can carry over. Because as you said, I mean, I think some of the things that he's done well, like forcing turnovers, um, I think using some, you know, like a, a guy like Paul Millsap you know he's, he's certainly used to having a really good power forward defender um, he's certainly used to having some mobility at the five with Al Horford he has no Al Horford here obviously um, but using kind of some of his his you know guys strengths and and playing to those strengths and, and getting you know very good results obviously that's the kind of thing that you do hope rather than just sort of you know having a really you know rigid orthodox approach to to defense right um, obviously so much of the game now is is based on adapting to your personnel and and we've seen even you know schemes that that teams are using right i mean the predominant schemes of what we think will work has changed a lot over the last few years so um i think that's obviously you know if you look at any coach you you just hope that they're going to be flexible and and adaptable and um obviously we'll we'll get a reap on that pretty quickly with with bud this year yeah and of course i think people liked Giannis at center that was a a lineup that they closed with i mean i certainly felt that by the end of that celtic series that they should have been playing every single minute with either thon maker or Giannis at center certainly with Thon out there the thought is you can switch more uh can dial up the aggression more if, if that's what they want to do in a, in a more conventional scheme uh you know they don't have Jabari but they still have I think if they go with Giannis at center you know you have maybe a little trouble filling out the rest of the lineup you'd have uh Bledsoe Brogdon Middleton and then you know is Middleton gonna be the four then you have Tony Snell uh maybe Sterling Brown 
can get in there pat Connaughton, but you, know, you don't necessarily have five good players if you're going to play Giannis at, at center you know you kind of need one of maker lopez or Ilyasova out there uh to be playing well to kind of make this rotation work to go with that unit for more than just a few minutes yeah i, I think it's really interesting because i mean trying to weaponize Giannis at the center position was a major talking point really the last two years and i think that there was a lot of frustration that kid viewed that as as something that was more of a last resort thing like two years ago when they first started using it it was like oh crap we're down you know 13 points going into the fourth quarter all right throw Giannis out there with like Mirza Toledovic and you know three you know two wings and a point guard right and they had some success with it but they never really seemed committed to the idea of it and a lot of it has probably been because they've just been like overloaded with centers the last few years um and they still have a lot you know probably one or two too many guys who probably expect to play minutes as as traditional centers i mean john henson question mark right as he started last year the team was generally good with him on the court um i think there's not you know probably a lot of enthusiasm for him given his contract of rotation players on the team for john henson who is yeah much much maligned though i mean i think and he's someone who i think is just so bad offensively and also just kind of slow too you know i I, i'm not sure that he's that that was really uh you know i think a lot of that was because he played a lot of his minutes with Giannis. i guess as the starter right it's probably a way to look at right he just yeah he was the the innocent bystander who's plus minus you know benefited from being on the court with you know Bledsoe Giannis Middleton for for all those starter minutes but um but it'll be interesting because I think that's a big question is like does Bud view Giannis at center as something that he really wants to you know go to a lot because the other obviously big variable is you know one of the main reasons people wanted Giannis at center was because you were trying to shoehorn Jabari Parker into lineups with Chris Middleton and Giannis and so um if Chris is more of a, a three than anything and um Jabari is more of a four than anything and you've got Giannis who's clearly a four at this point um you know the obvious thing to do would be to try to to put Giannis at center and then you've got you know four guys who can shoot around him um but it's an interesting dynamic now because obviously Jabari is gone I'm sure I'm sure we'll talk about that um but the what's left is well you have now a couple of options at center uh Lopez obviously who's sort of a traditional big guy but can step out and shoot threes and then you know Ilyasova as well I'm curious um, I mean, Ursan Elisova throughout his career always gets his, you know, 23 to 25 minutes, no matter what happens, no matter where he is. He always seems to play that, ex- that exact yeah. amount. Um, and he's obviously has experience with Bud last year. And that was clearly a Bud um, signing. I mean, not that John Horst and company didn't like Ursan as well, but, you know, you don't go out and, and give Ursan the money he got uh, at midnight right. on July 1 unless there's a lot of interest in bringing him back. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting. You know, will we see Ursan at center? I imagine we will see some you know Ursan Giannis uh four or five combo so you know pick who who's playing center there um but really, it's interesting because I mean to me you it's can... all about just it's not even the Giannis at center the reason I wanted that so much number one was to switch but number two is just you know Giannis can't shoot at all and you put the ball in his hands right. so you need yep. space around him so he can go attack the rim and when you got John Henson on the floor uh when you've got uh Tyler Zeller on the floor and when you've got Greg Monroe in past years you just don't have that space to attack and so the with Lopez out there it's over and we know those guys will at least stand at the three-point line and then we know that Bud is going to you know whether going back to Perro Antich or Horford or you know I mean he's had the most success with bigs who operate at the elbows who can pop out to three so I I think their offense to me is going to make a lot more sense this year than in the past yeah I mean even John Henson was talking this summer about oh well we all need to be able to shoot corner threes um and you know okay John I'm not sure how from the corner (laughs) 
<laughs> a lefty a lefty hook shot at that of course um yeah well the, the one of the, one of my favorite stats is that um john henson hit two three pointers in his first summer league and since then uh he had, hadn't hit any until he, i think he hit one last I mean, year people, so people um, talked about him when he was drafted as being like a three like he was trying to become a three when he was drafted he was and he, and he was so skinny at, at unc for so long that like they couldn't play him at at like center right so then he played with zeller at unc so yeah john henson's just had a weird it, it's it's amazing that of all the guys who've been here over the last decade that John Henson has, has had the longest tenure. Ursan Silva previously had that. Now he's back. So um, it just seems destiny that, that John Henson and, and Ursan just are, are always around. But um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, Dwayne Dedman started shooting threes last year, right? I mean, I, I didn't foresee that happening uh, under Bud in, in Atlanta. So um, there, there are definitely a lot of options at, at the center spot. Um, I, and I, I think, you know, last few years we've kind of known, well, Jason Kidd always really wants to play one center. He didn't really play two centers ever, thankfully. But, um, you know, he always had like one traditional center on the court, much to kind of uh, our, our distress uh, in, in a lot of cases. But um, yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, with, with especially with all these big men on the roster, um, does Bud feel any obligation to try to get John Henson minutes? Because certainly Jason Kidd did. Um, but I don't know if Bud particularly cares about doing that. And um, obviously he's got a lot of options between Lopez, Ilyasova, um, Giannis, you know, all bringing really different flavors. And then you've got kind of the traditional bigs like Henson, Zeller, and, and then Thon Maker, right? I mean, Thon Maker theoretically being a, you know, switchable uh, three, three and maybe D uh, a center, but who knows what version of Thon Maker we're going to I really wish he could have just sucked in the playoffs last year so I could have just played, all right, I'm out on this guy. <laughs> Written him off, but yeah. Yet, you know, he has this unbelievable playoffs defensively. Uh, again, and, you know, he's always probably going to foul a lot, but just like you know, this incredible energy. I mean, he just didn't bring any energy in the regular season, you know, which was augured by this bad summer league that he had as well when he was really getting kind of kind of beat up. So I don't know what happened, what switch got flipped. I mean, you remember he didn't even play in those first two games and in desperation, they brought him in for game three three and just in front of that great home crowd uh you know he just went totally crazy and was blocking five shots a game and you know hit a, hit a few threes you know he's still not uh, that great offensively but yeah i mean i i think he's for the long-term future of this team he is still will remain key lopez is only here for a year Ilyasova is pretty old so they still need a long-term center solution and i think you know if thon can play like he did in the playoffs he could still be the best of all those guys um so i i mean i don't know do you have anything to add on like why he sucked so badly last year and like what happened in the playoffs or is it equally a mystery to you it you know never underestimate playoff thondo i guess um he's just a he's just a a weird guy i mean he's he's a great kid everybody raves yeah. about his work like, like ethic. you wouldn't have expected um, like oh i'm gonna come in and camp out yeah. of shape or not try or something you know <laughs> yeah yeah he you know he um I, I think certainly the lack of improvement you know all the um i know a lot of bucks fans don't like to hear about you know the age conspiracy stuff but certainly the fact that he's he hasn't really shown any any real kind of growth as a player does kind of probably make you wonder a little bit like well okay this you know especially offensively like I'm, I'm not expecting him to to grow and develop in any kind of meaningful way um i think offensively it's really just can he knock down open threes right i mean that's really going to be his value he, he has really bad hands he's not strong doesn't finish well um but defensively um you know a lot of the things that kind of limit him um like you know you'd think his lack of strength would really limit him but again when he's when he plays the way he did in the playoffs and plays with that energy i can't explain it right i mean it, it really is like there's some some psychological thing about the energy of being in a playoff setting 
that kind of, you know, makes him play differently. But to his credit, to, to, to be fair to him as well, I mean, you know, the Bucks. it's not like the Bucks came out in the last two years have just said, oh, OK, fun, just we're just going to have you switch everything and you're going to play that way. Right. I mean, you know, he, he spent a lot of time, you know, trying to trap, do things like that, trap and recover. He's obviously mobile, so he's, you know, better suited to do that than a lot of guys. Um, but like last year when they started zone dropping their big men more, I mean, Thon has no clue how to zone drop in a pick and roll coverage. I mean, he, he's completely lost and his instincts just in that type of setting just don't yeah. work. And, you know, again, that's that's an issue in general, right? I mean, his instincts um, in certain scenarios, like if it's just him versus a guy we saw, I mean, he can be really good and, and use that athleticism. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I to be honest, I am I'm probably more on the side of of kind of writing him off. I I I, I don't know. I, I don't feel like in four years, Don Maker is going to be the starting center for this team. Um, but by the same token, it's, it's hard to to kind of say, well, just don't pick up his option or, you know, just dump him for, you know, uh, somebody's trade exception, and get rid of him. Because, again, he he's a guy that you want to root for. He's a guy who works really hard. You know, you feel like he should yeah. get it at some point, even if he never develops like, a, a, you know, kind of real offensive skills. And again, if you're a guy who can knock down an open three and, and move like that defensively, you don't have to be a star to be really useful, right? You can be a really valuable role player. So, um, so yeah, I, I won't pretend to, to be able to prognosticate much more than that, but definitely be an interesting guy to watch because he could be, you know, a guy who doesn't play at all, um, or he could be a guy that actually carves out a really good role. All right, let's take a quick break here and we'll be right back uh, with Frank men talk about the rest of this bucks roster right after this so with the nfl season starting i know that our listeners are hopefully smarter fans than average if you're listening to this show that is the hope that we have and if that's the case then i think you'll like the move the sticks podcast which is hosted by former nfl scouts daniel jeremiah and bucky brooks jeremiah and brooks break down the most impressive performances of the week explaining how individual players and teams are able to be successful based on their skill sets technique and coaching decisions the move the sticks podcast provides detailed analysis of the college and pro game from season experts from the nfl combine straight through to the super bowl there's no off season on the move the sticks podcast they'll have guests like nfl gms head coaches top draft prospects no one brings you the inner workings of football better than the move the sticks podcast dj and bucky will tell you exactly who will emerge as the next big stars so subscribe now to the move the sticks podcast with new episodes dropping three times a week available on your favorite podcast app or nfl.com Giannis, briefly it's funny when we do these we always spend so little time talking about the best players because we, we kind of just view <laughs> them as givens and they're not as interesting right. to talk about. But he took a big step forward last year. And as I recall, and you know, I don't know how much I checked in on this very late in the season, but when he was really tearing it up early in the season, you know, he was shooting just a completely unsustainable percentage at the rim. But we felt like, okay, if he's going to add anything to his game, it's going to be the jump shot. And instead, he just doubled down and got to the rim, got out in transition, finished even better at the rim created even more shots than he had before and just you didn't think you could get any better at those things and yet he did and i thought and i think defensively he took a step forward last year also um so what is the prospect here uh, for Giannis continue to improve do you think this is the year that the jumper at least gets passable uh, off the dribble um and is there anything else you'd like to see him get better at that's realistic here yeah i mean i i think he's probably close to passable right i mean i think he shot a higher percentage from three than joel 
Joel Embiid last year, which, you know, probably the casual fan wouldn't wouldn't think. But, um, you know, he was at 31 percent last year. He, he used he I think he was under 30 for much I, of the I, year. And, I would argue that he is not passable uh, because he well, he's, he thinks about he doesn't look it, right? for it. I mean, he, he's like he's not. Yeah, yeah. It's more it's so much of the NBA. I and mean, this is a, a lesson that I think I've become more and more aware of as time has gone on is so much of your your shooting is your reputation as a shooter. And when he's taking that as a last resort, when guys I mean, because they have plenty of times where you know Bledsoe is trying to go to work Middleton's trying to go to work and and frankly Giannis is a liability when he doesn't have the ball in his hands and they throw it to him at the three-point line and he just does not want to take it I mean you can go back to uh that penultimate play or I guess the the ultimate play of that series against the Raptors two years ago and he just did not want to take the three and, and he can't even begin to think of taking the three off the dribble what I would like to see from him ultimately is no hesitation spot up three-pointer and then to be able to when guys switch on to him who are slower be able to pull up because a lot of times when a center is guarding him the center will just back off and then Giannis has to go right into him and, and it becomes difficult yeah and, and to your point about the no hesitation thing I mean his big problem is he thinks about it so much right and that's when he yeah. that's when possessions well, and, and, go to die right is when he's, he's thinking about because, it you know maybe here's Charles Barkley and said but when you have those type of skills I can understand why you might kind of feel guilty about every jumper you take as opposed to you know I, I could get to the rim every time and score he has that type of ability but you know I mean you have to just keep the defense honest to some degree or, or teams are just going to help off of him a ton when he doesn't have the ball yeah and if people so if, if people watch bucks games one thing to watch for um uh, where he often looks most comfortable shooting three they'll get a a, a, a sideline out of bounds play you know from from you know like the coach's box and um you, you'll kind of see it they'll he, he'll get his mind he, he'll often be the inbounder and he'll get in his mind he's going to pass it in he's going to get it right back and he's going to shoot a three and he often looks most comfortable because literally he's predetermined yeah, yeah, before totally. he even passes it in bounds um i'm going to shoot a three here and it's okay <laughs> and, and i'm not like hurting yeah. the team and i'm not you know wasting a, a potential dunk or whatever um that's often when he looks kind of the most comfortable because as you said the hardest thing for him is you know he's got that mindset i want to attack 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 and then when he gets the ball squared up you know 25 feet from the basket and a guy's shading off him it's like well do i yeah i I think i can still get to the basket but uh, i got an open three so so i think absolutely that's something that i think that's where probably budenholzer can probably help because we all know jason kidd you know famously um kind of restricted Giannis and jabari from shooting threes early in their careers and certainly i think budenholzer's a guy i I don't think he's you know (laughs) gonna do anything like that i think hopefully he'll encourage Giannis to to be more you know willing hey just let it fly right don't worry about it and um i think he did a little bit more of that um as the season wore on but i think the other area where i think he can improve um you know one thing that he did a lot more of last year he got more comfortable doing but it's it's a double-edged sword is you see him get a lot more comfortable settling for jump shots in the post you know turnaround jump shots glassers um you know i mean when he you know puts his head down drives and then takes like that big step back i mean you know he can get to the middle of the lane and then get you know nobody's gonna come close to sure. blocking it if he takes like a little step but back jumper. i felt though the, the problem reason is he had to take that is because he didn't have the space to work like he do he wasn't able to beat his man because there was too much help there and that's why he had to take those yeah that's certainly part of it and i think the other piece is um he, he got yeah, i think he started to settle more for jump shots you know and, and those are kind of vanity shots right that's like kind of like the kobe shot the little step back whatever um and he's capable of hitting that but 
I mean, I would wager the the lowest probability shot in the Bucks regular arsenal of of offensive outcomes is that shot probably right. And you know, as a superstar, you earn the right to take those. And sometimes yeah. you know, well, it's not going to be there to get closer to the basket. And they're just and especially because right. kids' offense, I felt, uh, and and later Prunty's was a uh, relatively pedestrian. I mean, you just had so many situations where it was Giannis at the top of the key trying to drive in, but they didn't have any spacing, so guys would just be gapping off of the shooters, and he would have to just either bully into the lane or or go for that pull up jay yeah and i think the the thing that we didn't see much from him last year we saw less from him. we saw hints of it earlier in his career um was kind of a more traditional i don't want to say like i don't i don't want you to be like a traditional post player right who's taking you know jump hooks things like that but you know you think about his length especially when he's got a smaller guy on him um i think you'd like to see him get more comfortable just you know getting middle um using that that length to just go over top of guys and instead of fading away on a jump shot um just go over top of guy from you know seven to ten feet and just use that link just put it over the top of the defense with with your momentum not going backwards um i think that's that's kind of the thing that again it, it kind of hints at the fact that he's not you know even if he's seven feet tall he's not uh he's not a center right he's not a, a traditional post player he has more of that wing guy mentality and he's you know either trying to get all the way to the basket or he's taking a jump shot but um that might be something i'd be interested in. you know like um <laughs> it's been I, I haven't seen many Giannis drop steps right from the post and um certainly having more room as as you as you mentioned w- would help um but i think that's another piece of his game that um that could give him another weapon right yeah. and again and he's in, traditionally with his length from that range by the way so 35 yeah. percent from three to ten feet three years ago went up to 39 last year and then 36 uh uh this most recent season yeah so i mean he's got so much i mean you know the, the good things right i mean I mean, to find a seven footer who is as comfortable as him putting it on the deck, you know, Euro stepping, going off his right foot, off his left foot, finishing with either hand. Um, he's just so I mean, it, it, it just call it athleticism. I don't really think fully captures it because um, it's not just raw athleticism. He's not just like a pure explosive, like 45 inch vertical guy. That's really not what he is. I don't know what his vertical is, but um, he's really more of a, you know, a guy who who uses his length and his strides. And he's now gotten also stronger in his core and upper body where now guys just bounce off him. So, um, you know, that's that's obviously the secret sauce to that, whatever, 76 percent or whatever he is finishing at the rim last year. Um, but as as we kind of pointed out, I mean, we don't want to dwell too much on what he can't do, um, because, again, I don't I, I mean, he's going to be an MVP candidate year in, year out, even if he doesn't have that, you know, passable three point shot. But um, obviously, I think you, we talk about these few things he could do that that really probably unlock even more to, to his game. So, again, you know, it, we've yet to have a year where Giannis doesn't make a big leap forward. Um, and so, again, I you know, when in the, the outline you sent, you know, for for topics, right, who is likely to get better? Uh, my first comment was, well, Giannis always gets better. So uh, I don't want to be the guy that counts that out either. Yeah, a few other notes on some of these other guys. I mean, I think Bud, how much of that was him? How much was Kenny Atkinson, the development staff? But certainly he was in a situation where he empowered players. You know, we uh, Danny and I used to call it Hawks University. Damari Carroll, Kent Bazemore, two of the, of the more prominent graduates of that. And so I think for a, a guy like Giannis, uh, that'll be really good uh, to see him encouraged to, to shoot more. And so I, let's move into some of the uh, rotational battles here first of all who's going to start for these guys uh you know you imagine Bledsoe Middleton Giannis and Lopez but who's gonna be that fifth starter yeah it's interesting I mean last year you know Tony Snell was was the primary starter at at shooting guard and it's funny because there was a lot of heartburn over Tony Snell's season last year um and you just kind of take a quick look at his numbers I mean 40 percent from three 58 percent true shooting um you know I'd take those numbers from Tony Snell any any year but 
Um, but then you also kind of look at just the inconsistency, right? And it just seemed like every night, you know, either he had a good night, he gets, you know, 13 points, hits three threes, or he's 0 for 3, and you, you don't yeah. even notice well, him, right? I, I thought he was um, a guy who, who suffered more from getting yanked around by Kidd and Prunty than a lot, much like he did in Chicago. I mean, he's someone who is not, you know, the most confident guy. I, I think he, he needs a little bit more of a consistent role. Yeah, and the irony is, you know, I mean, Tony Snell's had his probably his two best years since coming to Milwaukee, but um, it, it did feel like there were times where it was the coaching staff kind of trying to play mind games with him to motivate him to be more aggressive or, you know, do this or that. And I mean, Tony Snell is one of the most fascinating players in that, you know, he came in as a super low usage guy and every year of his career, his usage rate has gone yeah. down. Um, I mean, it, 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 I don't know how he could have a lower usage rate next year than he, than he, said, than he had last year. Um, because again, like, I mean, I don't think Tony's really particularly bashful. He's not turning down open shots, but um, obviously he's, he's always he the fifth option offensively. I, mean, I think that's really what it is. Right. Like when he gets it, you know, I think he's pretty aggressive. They'll, when they run that like 21 play on the side, you know, probably half of his shots it seemed like come from an immediate dribble handoff from the one man and right. he takes yep. it you know from uh, right at the right at the break uh and he'll just jack that shit up which is you know that's an okay shot i think it's good to take it but you know that's not like a, a great look but i i like him better as the starter uh than brogdon because you have plenty of other usage guys here i think snell is a lot better defensively than brogdon is he has more length he's more consistent um and fits in i think a, a little bit more with the you know if especially if you're playing a conventional scheme and you got to close out to the corners to use his length to do that and you know i think he's a better spot up shooter than brogdon uh, you know at least in terms of like his high release and you know brogdon probably has a little more versatility to it but i, I like snell better as the starter but what do you think you think uh brogdon should get the start instead i mean because you can argue brogdon's a better player i just like snell's fit better yeah no i agree um i'm i'm definitely uh would prefer snell just for the reasons you mentioned right i mean you can't have five guys who all are expecting to get the ball and create shots right and and brogdon's a guy who you know like you said i mean we uh we joke on our podcast about brogdon and della vadova having you know uh, the releases that are uh you know similar to these civil war muskets right that just takes so long to to load up and get those shots off and civil um, war might be uh, well brogdon might be civil war and like <laughs> delhi might be like revolutionary war revolutionary war yeah <laughs> yeah when when was the first musket invented back that that let's use that um so i i agree though i, I and I, look i mean if you look at the the lineup numbers um brogdon with in with blood so in the starting five i mean that was a plus 13 lineup last year that was their second most used lineup it was very effective but i think in theory you know i i agree with what you're saying i, I think you know, I'd rather have Brogdon staggering with with Bledsoe in particular because I don't particularly want Delvadova having to be you know a backup point guard more than any more than necessary. Um, I, I'd like to have Brogdon be being that primary guy behind Bledsoe. So I, again, I, I would agree. I think it's kind of makes more sense um, having Snell in that low usage sort of floor spacing role. And um, and again, you know, I mean, he's he's a competent defender. He's not a shutdown defender by any stretch, but he's kind of a, a basketball equivalent of an innings eater, right? Yeah. I mean, you can just put him on good play and he's not going to shut anybody down but you know he'll give it an honest effort you know he's not going to kill you um and so I, I do think that makes sense in the starting five and um again he's one of those guys you you hope that that you know the the coaching change does help because yeah. I, I would agree I, I don't think that coaching uh, the, the coaching philosophy of of kid and Prunty necessarily did him any favors I mean I think he played three minutes in game seven which you know again is just yeah. like <laughs> it, it can't happen you need more yeah, yeah and I think if they're moving the ball more you know if he's comfortable shooting the three off the DHO game he's never going to 
to do anything getting to the basket. You know, I think we can. He had one year in Chicago where he shot it pretty well around the rim, but other than that, you know, he's not been a guy whose handle is developed. That was supposed to be part of his skill set coming in, but I think he's focused more on three and D, which is probably a good idea. It got him paid. Uh, and then Brogdon, the other reason I don't like his fit as much is just the fact that every time he catches the ball, he immediately dribbles twice. You know, you probably, I don't know if you guys were, were making fun of that. We certainly were on the Tour NBA show uh, and uh, on this podcast back in the playoffs that just literally every time he touches it, he just immediately starts dribbling, you know, instead of shooting or looking to pass or, or anything. So that, that certainly, that approach probably fits better on the second unit. So, all right, we'll, we'll assume that Brogdon will be kind of the de facto six man here that Snell is going to start or vice versa. So let me give you the rest of these guys here who are going to feature into the mix in the backcourt slash wing. And you tell me, you put them in order of who you think is going to play the most. Pat Connaughton, Sterling Brown, Matthew Delvidova, Dante DiVincenzo. Um, you know, my first thought was was Sterling Brown. Um, That's and, certainly and the hope I, I think, of Buck Twitter. Because, yeah, yeah, Sterling Brown is the only <laughs> other guy who can do no wrong in addition to Giannis actually. At, at he's he's yeah, the You can't get mad at him yet. No, no, no. Sterling is uh, must be protected at, at all costs. Um, yeah, I mean, Brown is interesting because I think, uh, you know, he was a competent three-point shooter last year, 35%. Not, not great, um, but he was fine, right? And um, really struggled at the rim, which is interesting because, I mean, he's, he's a guy who he's not explosive but he's thicker um stronger than certainly you know probably any of these other guys that you mentioned um so hopefully that's an area he can improve in i think you know at summer league i, I think thought he looked better showing you know pretty good body control and and better finishing instincts and than maybe certainly the stats last year would have suggested um and then i think just defensively he gives you a, a mean streak that i don't think you necessarily have with some of these other guys i mean delhi and, and brown are probably the two guys who um on this team kind of like will mix it up the most with with brown that often translates to foul trouble but um but i, I think he's an interesting guy and again just because he's a, a second year player you hope that you know he's ready to kind of make a, a step up you know certainly with divincenzo i was not a huge fan of that pick he, you know it just feels like kind of a you know role player upside type pick i i, I generally like the you know taking a little bit more of a chance on a guy who can be better you know yeah. just given his age um and, and everything so i wasn't a big fan of that pick um you know if you gave me a choice of who to keep divincenzo or brown i'd, I'd probably you know you can keep brown yeah. over divincenzo and, and, but and he's got um, he's got issues but robert williams in theory could have fit like exactly into what they're trying to do now you know i, I can understand being a little wary of him given some of uh, both the health issues and, and what's emerged uh with him maybe not being the most focused guy but you know I, I, that's a guy who hey we have this long-term need at center potentially and we'll see what happens with that maker but uh yeah i, I would have liked him better than divincenzo i'm not like a huge fan do you think was that another like bike mudenholzer one right there <laughs> well that, that certainly um was the talk around it and and that's obviously a reason that you know who well, knows the, maybe the, right the, maybe the dante divincenzo that, does like, is that just people guessing or is there actually was there actually like source reporting on that uh i don't think there was source okay. reporting but i think if you listen around the campfire I think the, <laughs> that that was that, that was that yes that that is the the operating theory is okay. that uh, Dante Vincenzo was a favorite of uh, of Mike Budenholzer so or, or of Mike Budenholzer in this case so um, so I, again so who knows right maybe he does um, throw him more of a bone maybe he gives him more of a chance than maybe some of these other guys um, Connaughton uh, you know I won't lie and act like I know what 
that Pat Connaughton is is anything special or that he's terrible. I, I mean, mean, I can he, just look at the stats. He confidently and, held down a rotation role on a playoff team last year in Portland. I mean, I, I, for the deal that they got him on with the the uh, the two years, I think just slightly above the minimum using uh, the remainder of their uh, mid-level exception. And then I think they got a non-guaranteed second year. You correct me if I'm wrong on that. That was off the top of my head. But yeah. uh, so yeah. I think that's actually a pretty good get. You know, I think he's someone who, especially if the, there are injuries, you know, he doesn't have the upside of Sterling Brown defensively, but he's very comfortable shooting the three. You know, he, he was terrible the first two years, so maybe he'll regress. But, uh, you know, I thought that was a good get. Uh, and especially to get that non-guaranteed second year, uh, that was outstanding work by the Bucks. Yeah, and I mean, he's um, he's kind of, uh, you know, I, I feel like some of the Bucks pickups last few years, like it felt like Beasley and Shabazz Muhammad were like cautionary picks, uh, cautionary tales for Jabari Parker. Um, I don't know if it's uh, Pat Connaughton is a cautionary tale for for Dante DiVincenzo because <laughs> I don't think they're they're necessarily that different in, in the first place. But um, but yeah, you know, the two kind of bouncy white guys who are supposed to be able to shoot threes and um, and and, uh, you know, be the coach's favorite or whatever. So um, it'll be interesting to kind of a little more juice off the dribble, I think, than Connaughton. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, you know, he was what a four assist guy last year. I don't think there's any illusion he's going to, you know, be a point guard or something like that at some point. But um, but, you know, I think he has better instincts um, attacking off the dribble and, and making plays for others. Well, again, summer league offered us no real clues given he had a groin injury and I think he was 0 for 8 in 28 minutes. So, uh, yeah, I think um, it might have even been more than that. I think he might have been like 0 for 17 or so. It was like it was really bad. It was too bad. We uh, we didn't get a chance to see him, though, because I, I, I wanted to see what his game was going to be. I mean, maybe the theory is that he, you know, you reverse the ball to him and he can make a three or he can, you know, he's not your every down pick and roll guy, but he can attack on the second side, get to, into the lane, keep the churn going. You know, that's that's something that Budenholzer kind of started that Quinn Snyder then brought to Utah, like that sort of an approach. Yeah, and he, very good off ball cutter, you know. So, I mean, a guy that, that certainly can, you know, he's not going to be a, anybody's primary option, but a guy that can play well within a team concept. And obviously, I'm sure, you know, that, you know, the, the, the fact that, okay, Villanova's got their pro style offense and he's already be used to being a role player. Um, he can plug in more easily. I don't know. I don't. I, I struggle with that logic a little bit. I, I prefer to see guys who who played at a higher level um, at the co- you know at the, in the college ranks. I mean, granted, what he did in the national championship game can't take anything away from him, right? I mean, he rose to to the occasion, no question there. Um, but but let me just see. So and, you know, again, I I don't and and also I mean, you know, Bucks fans, let's be honest, a little gun shy about being confident about first round picks, given that pretty much every pick they've made in the first round since Giannis has been, um, you know, ended up just basically being a horrible you know thing that that didn't work yeah, out and, at all right and, uh, i mean jabari DJ wilson unlikely to be in the rotation this this year i think we, <laughs> we, that that probably fulfills our obligation to, to discuss him um do, do you want to give a little bit of a defense of eric bledsoe because everyone was just hating on him so badly he got cooked by terry rosier in that epic game one uh you know just was making myriad defensive mistakes in that boston series uh, you know just looked like a dumb player out there frankly but they actually really relied on him in the regular season maybe more than people realize based on the, if you just tuned into the Bucks during the playoffs yeah I mean and, and I, I did not set out to become uh, an Eric Bledsoe defender but I, I certainly feel like I've often <laughs> taken that role this season um, you know it, it's interesting I mean you can make a reasonable case that he was actually their second best player last year and part of that was scarcity just because they went a couple months without uh, either Del Vadova or Brogdon and um, 
you know, they completely fell apart when he was off the court. You know, they tried to run you know, uh, lineups with Giannis kind of as the ball handler with Jason Terry and Sterling Brown. And that basically devolved into Giannis standing like 30 feet from the basket trying to throw passes off screens to Jason Terry. I mean, there, there was no concept of what they were doing there that was going to make them succeed. But um, it definitely helped Bledsoe's on off ratings. Let's say that much. Um, and I think he was like a, a plus plus nine um, relative to when he was off the court, which, again, maybe a little bit of an asterisk yeah. given uh, given some of the injuries. But um, I think he was second on the team in RPM. I think he was like 13th among point guards, you know, plus two point something. Um, and and that kind of, you know, a lot of people are probably surprised because Middleton, I think everyone agrees, the second best player on this team. But Middleton's had a really kind of up and down year, kind of uneven year defensively in particular, um, kind of didn't find his three point shot till kind of later in the year. So even though his his raw numbers were, were you know, career numbers, 24 and four was still efficient. Um, you know, it was it was it was definitely not maybe um, I think if you kind of peel back a little bit on Middleton's year, it was it was not kind of peak Middleton in a lot of ways. And I think there's definitely no room for him to improve this year. But with Bledsoe, um, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing, right? I think there's a lot of frustration because he's obviously not a, an off the dribble Steph Curry type guy or, or anything close to that. He's not Kimball Walker. Um, he's not a guy that that has that sort of dynamic shooting ability that you would like to have with Giannis. But you know, by the same token, he was a 40% spot up shooter last year. I mean, he was he was better than Milton uh, in spot up scenarios. Um, ended up 35% from threes. His off the dribble shooting was was bad. Um, and you know, again, he has a lot of possessions, or or at least the possessions where you know he'll randomly pull up for a 19 footer in transition. And you just like, what the hell are you doing, right? I mean, he has possessions both offensive and defensively that just frustrate you to no end because he has obvious talent. Um, but in aggregate, I mean, he's a guy that I think people also sort of take for granted how well he gets to the rim and finishes at the rim. I mean, he's for a point guard, especially a guy who's, you know, six, one and a half or whatever, um, his strength and, and athleticism, even, you know, after losing most of his, uh, you know, meniscuses in both knees, um, is still very impressive. Um, and he was a guy that finished at a, at a really high level for a point sure. guard last year. Um, and you know, 58% true shooting. I mean, look, you don't have to have a work of art offensively in terms of scheme when you've got three guys who can give you, you know, in Giannis's case, 27, but then Bledsoe and Middleton, yeah. 18 to 20, and they're also 58% true shooting guys, right? I mean, it, it kind of was just a force of will that this team was pretty good offensively, and, and I think Bledsoe was certainly part of that. So um, I think over the course of the year, he also kind of got more used to just the fact that, hey, it's not about him. It's about getting the ball to Giannis, and um, it's going to be really interesting. I have no idea if, if Budenholzer is the guy who's going to buy into Eric Bledsoe. Um, you hope that he can maximize Bledsoe. Um, you hope that the kind of lack of injuries last year were not a um, something that will regress yeah. this year, given he's had injury problems. Yeah. Although um, I do and think entering, is it... will help protect his minutes a little bit. You know, I, I think that's that's yeah. something that he really seemed to believe in in Atlanta. And and, and also with and the honest, for... too, which I think is something that, yeah. uh, you know, we've had a lot of concerns about. Yeah, and that was the, I mean, Bledsoe was the only guy who who the coaching staff really seemed to manage their, yeah. the minutes reasonably well with. He was around like well minutes with. a game, it seemed like, most of the time, which right. they could have used it more, yeah. as you were mentioning. Um, well, so I, I want to go through here real quickly before we do our predictions and just some of the ways that I think that Budenholzer can help some of these guys. Bledsoe in particular is one that really stands out for me. He, Bud had a lot of success. You know, you can argue with whether Jeff Teague should have been an all-star in 2015, but Bud had a lot of success getting a similar player in Jeff Teague, at least offensively, to have more uh, more efficiency. Uh, and then I think, you know, defensively, I think Bledsoe, if he can harness some of that crazy activity and just the way he can be shot out of a cannon on a closeout or going after loose balls, he's never had a real 
coach in his career i mean if you think about it jeff hornacek is the best coach that they've had and maybe that's that's not being fair to jeff to say he's not a real coach but you know he had vinnie del negro in la and then you know it was earl watson and uh you know jay tree or yeah i guess it wouldn't have been jay tree but it really you know for he has not had a coach who i think has really been someone who can help him to focus that energy defensively and then middleton someone we've complained for years just hasn't taken enough threes and he is just an absolute mid-range killer but yeah i think you know bud is gonna make sure that he's starting possessions at the three-point line and he's encouraged to take open threes immediately and if they want to run stuff to get him into the post on occasion you know he certainly was unbelievably effective there in the boston series but i think you know he's another guy who can really be helped snell we we talked about him Giannis, uh i think he can get even more efficient uh, under budenholzer uh brogdon maybe he can be told to not dribble every single time he catches the ball uh so i, I think that they're both uh, uh, we talked about defense but offensively there's kind of some low-hanging fruit with these guys that uh, bud just by kind of bringing these guys into the modern era on offense uh can really help them be a lot more effective yeah and i, I to, to your point about blood so i mean I, a lot of the talk around lopez and ilia silva coming in and the, the spacing they provide has focused on well this opens the court up for Giannis. i'd argue Bledsoe may benefit from that as much or more um because again he's also a guy who i mean you know he, he can't finish as you know if you've got a crowded um paints you know then then it's gonna be harder for eric Bledsoe than than Giannis Dedekumbo. um and i think uh, you know Bledsoe not being a great passer the crowded floor really hurt him like they tried to run they you know they obviously regularly try to run a lot of Bledsoe Giannis pick and rolls and it, it was just in it's hard when there's a congested floor and you're Eric Bledsoe and you're not Chris Paul to to find Giannis in those scenarios and so I think just the idea of being able to spread the floor around those two guys um you know with Lopez Elias over whoever um it, it, I think it opens up a lot more not just for Giannis but but Bledsoe as well because again I mean he is a guy who who still has you know at least for now that that great first step and, and that great strength and getting to the rim and finishing so I think both those guys you know given given their natural talents uh, obviously very different types of players but um hopefully can can really help to be unlocked a bit more by by having you know better shooting around them because you know I and mean, that was the thing last year I mean three pointers were just sort of like coincidences that happened because teams you know collapsed on Giannis and then they just moved the ball around right there was there, there were sparse plays that were run or actions that were intended to get Chris Middleton a three-point shot and um again I think part of it Chris also likes shooting mid-range sure. jumpers so I don't think it's like exclusively a coaching thing but um I think again with with new coaching staff that understands the, the value of the three-pointer um he's definitely a guy that absolutely I mean if Chris Middleton's taking five threes per game next year um I, I will be sorely disappointed and and again we got to see that number go up because um even if he shoots 36 37 percent rather than 40 percent um you know again it's just it's just playing to your strengths trying to be more modern and creating more of that spacing that you know regardless of what Chris shoots um I think you just have to make make those teams feel like they they have to be punished and that team you're going to get those shots up if uh, if you you know if you double on Giannis or if you're if you're not you know paying attention to those guys on the perimeter so let's get into predictions here uh I will go first I think this team's gonna win 49 games uh even with you did cow me somewhat with the reminder <laughs> in my options I might have actually gone even higher with the reminder that they only had the point differential of a 40 win team last year you know that worried me some but I just think that like there's just so much low-hanging fruit I'm, and as I said I'm gonna put my money where my mouth is and predict them for 49 wins this year I think Bud is gonna help that much I think this defense is gonna get into the top 10 in the NBA I think this offense is gonna get into the top 10 in the NBA and I you know I could see 
them even getting as high as like 55 this year i really like and i just i think they have that much talent uh i might be it might not be that smart for betting on the bucks but you know i've always thought i've always really liked their talent and now that they have a coach that i think is held now as a playoff team i'm not sure how i feel about bud as a playoff coach uh but i think that they are going to get to 49 wins and i think they are uh the very clear well i shouldn't say clear favorite because indiana is pretty good too but uh i think that they're going to get the four seed i think they're going to be a little better than indiana and we have the email evidence to prove it i i also <laughs> picked 49 wins um i you know a lot of us in Bucks Twitter, a lot of people whose opinions I respect a lot, including my co-host Eric Name, are on the 50-win bandwagon, and I, I, I want to get there. I, I think it's a really distinct possibility for the reasons you mentioned. Um, I'm, I'm probably too old and broken as a Bucks fan to kind of talk myself into it just yet. So officially, yeah, I'm going to say 49. Seen, I'm going to stop seen short. What, since uh, 1990, you've seen one 50-win season in Milwaukee. Is that right? Yeah, 52 wins in the the O the 2000-2001 season. The, also, the only year uh, in my you know whatever it is, 26 years or something, 27 years as a Bucks round, fan. Right? <laughs> yes, exactly. One year they they won a playoff series. That was it was uh, all in that that single single magical and fleeting season so um yeah i I would say i'll go 49 i feel like i'm being cautious um and and i had the same reaction i the only thing that that really kind of holds me back is that that 40 win baseline uh last year in terms of expected wins but again you know with with this team um and kind of the coaching chaos they had last year extending back a few years um i think you can kind of throw that out a little bit um and again I, i i have reservations sort of about how this team is constructed in the long term um i, I think this team kind of from a from off perspective i think they've gotten a little bit happy just trying to kind of go the Giannis in a cloud of dust approach but i think you can win 50 games that way um i, I don't think they have necessarily the assets long term flexibility long term to really compete with you know boston yeah. potentially toronto if why stays and and even philly um but again can they be very successful very good over the next you know few years with with more or less just the core they have i absolutely think that's possible and again i think it'll be a, a good test for for all of us that were uh celebrating jason kidd's departure right that um at this point you know mike bootenholzer unless he very much disappoints I, I think this team should should be clearly much better than they were a year ago yeah so i said my best case scenario is 55 what do you got i think i said 53 okay. 54 something like that um i i you know i i view this sort of as like the 90 10 distribution right. you know is there a scenario where they go low 40s i know you you always like to kind of throw out the if you honest, you know, tears his ACL in game one scenario. So, um, yeah, I mean, is there some scenario where they're in the low 40s or something like that because they actually were just a bad defensive team and they just can't be that can't be untaught? I guess maybe that's possible. Um, and again, you know, certainly if, if Giannis is out even 10 games, right? I mean, you, you said this last year, right? If, if Giannis misses 10 games, you could have a really tough 10 game stretch. I think certainly um, a similar thing could be true this year. Um, I think Bledsoe is is an X factor. You know, he's an expiring contract is, you know, Boonholes are going to like him. Is he not going to like him? Is he going to reach him, not reach him? Um, it's tough to say. And if they, you know, if, if, if there's, there isn't a meeting of the minds there, if they, you know, dump him for, for something, um, that isn't another point guard, um, then certainly I think your depth at, at the point isn't, isn't great. So, um, definitely some variables to, to watch there, but, um, but yeah, I mean, and I agree with you. I, I just, man, I, and I don't want to disrespect Indiana or some of these other teams, but, um, you know, I think again, you have Giannis that that's just a differentiating factor. I think against some of these teams that don't have that sort of super duper MVP level star caliber player. 
And again, I, you know, Indiana, I, I just feel like the Bucks should be better than, than this year. Um, so we'll see. Um, I guess the Bucks are, I, I, I'm finally throwing some confidence the Bucks' way, um, breaking a long line uh, of years in which uh, people on this podcast, myself included, Jeremy Schmidt before me, have taken the under on the Bucks. So um, now that I'm finally taking the over, I, uh, I need the Bucks to finally come through for us. Let's talk a little bit about, if you have time, about what this season means for this team. And, I, and I'll set the stage. Giannis signed for four years about 100 million that was uh, both he and Gobert signed about that level uh that was less than the max they also did not offer him the five-year deal in part because that would have had to have been the max and so probably about three million per season or so is what they saved on their cap by doing that but I mean this is a pretty important season now teams just don't operate this way like they're not going to trade him two years before he's going to become a free agent no matter what happens this season I don't think they're just and then you know they'll have the chance to offer him the designated player veteran extension in the summer of 2020 and if he doesn't take that then maybe he trades him you know we'll see the ad is going to provide an interesting uh potential roadmap for how that situation will play out a year in advance of Giannis but you know I I think they if they had to do over again they probably would have rather had that fifth year at this point you know as long as that wasn't going to be a player option and they didn't make any changes last year I you know I didn't expect them to but you've mentioned that you kind of see them locked in now and i i felt like hey you know what jabari parker this is such a critical year for this team and they're really targeting 2019 free agency right and so you just you can't commit long term to parker at 20 million a year because he's just too uncertain and you need guys that you know are going to produce around Giannis going into these critical next two years but then you found out what the eventual price for parker was and all of a sudden uh you know maybe they could have kept him if they'd been willing to go into the luxury tax which they were not you know they, they easily could have done that they could have just not signed Ilyasova and they would have been you know five eight million or so in the tax a reasonable tax payment uh as you go into this new arena and then next year they've only got 23 million in space now with that Ilyasova contract and you know they could get up to like 26 and then you look at 20 million and kind of dead money between Henson and Delvadova maybe they could move that by moving their first round pick uh you know get up to 40 million in space 45 million but then you know Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton are this team's second and third best players and there are a lot of attractive destinations that also are in the free agent derby so it feels like especially if they have success this year the plan is going to be bring all these guys back and now with parker for all of his flaws out of the mix it's difficult to even see a potential path in which this team gets into championship contention and if they're not in championship contention you wonder are they going to be able to keep Giannis Antetokounmpo uh in three years yeah, I mean, the, the Bucks are fortunate in that Giannis is, you know, I mean, he's saying all the right things. He's the yeah. kind of guy who I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to leave or, or invent a reason to leave. But I mean, we've seen this happen before that guys are love where they are and want to stay here forever. And then things change. And I think certainly ultimately, I mean, he's even started to qualify some of his comments more and more over the past year or two um, that, look, the team has to has to build and, and be good and, and do things that that put them on the path to to contend and succeed and all, all those good things. So um, I, I don't I, I hope the Bucks aren't taking that for granted. Um, 
But yeah, it, it does feel like, you know, a lot of these moves have been kind of premised on, well, we can just sort of, you know, tinker around the edges. We don't really have to take big risks to try to add big talent. Um, you know, we can draft role players and um, as long as it kind of makes sense around Giannis, then then everything will be fine. Um, whereas, you know, a team like Philly, I mean, as much as they had a, a pretty disappointing summer, you know, on draft night, they roll the dice on a high upside young guy and get another for future first round pick for it. Right. And not that the Bucks could have done the exact same move because they didn't have that pick. They could have had that pick, yeah. of course, going back to the to the Brandon Knight trade. But um, but I, I think there is a conservatism in kind of the Bucks approach, which which worries me a bit. Um, I think on the one hand, yeah, I mean, you know, look, like it, it's tough to to say trade guys, gamble on, well, you know, and, and first round picks this year. And say it was not a conservative pick. They, that that's one at least right, they can right. swung for the fences a little bit. Right, that was much more of a kind of like the John Hammond typical yeah. draft the super long guy that nobody knows what he's about type pick, and and that's also the only pick that you know of the last four first round picks might actually still stick around or last you, five. You know, these five it's picks. Interesting, so though that you. Yeah, I mean that that's just an absolute graveyard. Their picks since Giannis, uh, but you describe it as conservatism, and I would actually say that the Ilyasova signing is more risky, right? I think the conservative approach is well, we're going to keep our space open, we're going to maintain flexibility, as opposed to we're going to lock in to this guy who you know might be as old as thirty five. You know, he's another one of these age guys who you know, was rumored when he was coming up in Europe to be way older than he was listed. He came to the NBA at quote unquote nineteen, but you know, a lot of people in Europe tell me that that's not the case he's actually three years older than what he's listed at so uh I think that was actually a very aggressive play rather than a conservative play and I don't know that this was the time to be that aggressive necessarily well yeah I mean aggressively going after a guy who's not going to be a long-term difference yes. maker right yes. I mean I think Ursan can can help Ursan can help this team absolutely I think Ursan helps this team more than Jabari Parker would have but that's not really the point obviously in a lot of ways right um I mean my view on Jabari Parker I think a lot of Bucks fans feel this way you watch that team down the stretch last year. You watch Jabari's body language, some of the on-court spats he had. There was a game in L.A. against the Clippers. Yeah. Where, and he had those comments um, about not playing in the playoffs. Although then yeah. he actually did come out and back those up with a couple of nice games right, right after that. But nonetheless. Right. So I, I think uh, – let's just say this. I think um, – you know, someone asked me, like, well, what what is this message to send to Giannis and Chris that they're not willing to bring back Jabari Parker? Well, I don't look at okay. If if Giannis really wanted Jabari Parker back, I think Jabari Parker would have been back. Um, I don't think Giannis, you know, demanded he not be brought back or something, but um I don't think yeah. that that was um something that those guys were worried about. I think he I don't know if I want to say he burned bridges because look, he's a good guy yeah. off the court. Well, he's and, obviously and he a great person, but I mean, that was that was the right. biggest thing. So right. you know, maybe he could have been rehabilitated, but you know, it, it, it's quite possible that you know he wouldn't have come back for that same offer that uh, the Bulls ended up giving him. But the the Bucks had the leverage in, in this situation. You know, they could have uh, tried right. to, tried to say, hey, you know, we'll make you make you this offer. Um, right, and it's, instead they telegraphed the fact that they really weren't interested in bringing him back by giving Ilyasova, you know, two years guaranteed, fourteen yeah, million on, on no opening way. night of free agency. I mean, they hard capped them. Yeah, they, and they could. I mean. They're basically right. they couldn't legally have paid him more than I think about fourteen million at that point. And and that and that's I think the thing that's so exasperating because look, I, I felt like by last spring kind of the die had had mostly been cast. I I, I just didn't really see Jabari being 
a fit as beyond kind of a six man um, yeah. with the kind of as long as you're saying Chris and, and Giannis yeah. are around. And I was I um, was that all for moving on from him too when we thought that he might get you know a guaranteed multi year offer for right. well over fifteen million, but that didn't materialize. Right, but instead you end up actually being worse off next summer by getting Ursula Silva because you gave him two years guaranteed versus Jabari, as you said, doesn't even have a second guaranteed year, right? So it, it was such a bizarre way to kind of cap off what I thought was. You know, really a misplayed hand by the Bucks. I think, you know, I think any chance they had to monetize and look, I mean, it, it was going to be hard to get, you know, you're not going to get a lot for him in a sign and trade. But I mean, you guys in the mock off season got the Bucks something right. In yeah, that although you, you guys had that mock fuck that up. I think we, we the offer <laughs> that uh, in a sign and trade, it had to be three years. So that's actually the one the one thing that we, I think I can't remember exactly what it ended up being. But I, I think we screwed that up. It had to have been a three year deal uh, ultimately. But yeah. But it, but it wasn't the only like a couple of years or one of, one of years has to be guaranteed or something like that. And it, either way, I think there was probably a scenario where the Bucks could have salvaged something. Um, I totally agree. This was years in the making, right? This yeah. was not just that. Oh, it was a perfect situation, and and then the Bucks screwed it up this summer. I mean, this was you know a Greek tragedy in terms of years yeah. of Jason Kidd and injuries, um, which really the last ACL. I mean, that really killed off probably the chance that they could have you know dealt him earlier for something. And then he comes back basically at the yeah. trade deadline from a second ACL. I mean, what are you going to get from him? I don't know, right? But a unique situation. So, right. Uh, like, so it, I, it was yeah. difficult. It, so it was obviously really difficult. And and again, I think, you know, I think to Jabari Parker, they gave up on is, you know, I think, you know, we're, the fans that are still pissed off about, it, I think, are still sort of viewing him as the Jabari Parker that they drafted. Who, and that's not who he is at this point. But, um, it, you know, look, it, it's tough. You, you take a second round pick and you turn him into nothing, you know, four years later, that that's a huge organizational failure, whether it's partly bad luck or not and certainly you look at kind of what they came away with yeah i think they'll be better this, this year than last year for sure even if you took away the boot holes or higher um but you know you just do the math as you said i mean they have more salary obligations um to ursan Yasova than the bulls have with with jabari parker and that's obviously um a tough pill to swallow when you're talking about a team that needs to needs to continue to build and get better and has some big decisions to make next summer because I, I think i think chris middleton is going to get probably a, a number that that probably a lot of bucks fans are going to think is too big when he hits free agency i again I, he took kind of a nice deal for them last time um i wouldn't be shocked if he gets i don't think he's going to get necessarily the max but um he's going to get a big number i think and then you know i, I think it'll be really interesting to see what they do with blood or, or whoever they might bring as a point guard but again you're talking about really just sort of keeping the same types of players you're not talking about you know chris and Giannis and then adding you know a, a max point guard or something like that to to your mix so it's a it's a tough spot you know and, and I think again that that's going to kind of hang over the bucks a little bit um you know certainly over the next year or two where hopefully they get a lot better but even if they do yeah. um yeah. you know you, you got to get better to impress Giannis but then like okay well what what about two years from now three years from now four years from now um you know I think to some extent you're you're still going to be yeah. banking on Giannis to to really want to be here yeah I mean and they really to feel like they're even on schedule for getting this there and again their results this year are going to change a lot right if it's another first round exit all right then maybe middleton is gone maybe uh bledsoe is gone and they try their hand in free agency but i think they're going to be pretty low in the pecking order versus some of these teams that have space and are trying to rebuild you know i don't see them in the market for another star maybe they could build a, another team around Giannis. but you know you're just you, you got to get guys who are in the top 10 in the nba at their position instead of you know top 15 like middleton and bledsoe and then they've got a lot of money of course tied up in guys who aren't really contributing so i mean i feel like really to to feel even
even remotely decent about things i think you got in the long term you got to get to you know a hard fought seven game exit in the second round type of type of finish here and then you know maybe you bring people back and you see what the price is and and you have some hope that this team can get in the conference finals but still i mean it, it just it all depends what Giannis's standards are if he's like all right you know if we're winning 50 games that's fine i'll stick around give me the designated veteran extension that's good enough for me okay if you're all right we got to be competing for championships the way jimmy butler is talking about right now in minnesota for example well it, you, your sphincter's got to be tightened a little bit because it's hard to see how uh, they get there and and you don't control your destiny in terms of contention because you I mean you you end up thinking a lot about well got to hope Kawhi Leonard leaves Toronto for LA right yeah. you got to hope that Markel Fultz is not ever an impact player in Philly and that they kind of are quote-unquote stuck with just their two young stars rather than having a third or you know having flexibility at another which again yeah. they will have flexibility at another star in Boston I mean I don't even know what you say about Boston. I mean, they've got so much depth that it, it's kind of hard to see them screwing that up. But yeah, it, it's a it's a tough spot. And you know, I don't want to you know you don't want to kind of get too down on kind of the the long term hypotheticals. But certainly, look if if you want to contend for a championship, ownership has consistently talked about competing for championships. You also have to act like you know and make the moves that put you in a position to do that. And certainly, a lot of the moves they've made have. I think suggested that maybe they have an overinflated opinion of of the roster around Giannis, or um, that they're not willing to to roll the dice maybe and on on you know kind of upside plays, young players, things like that. And instead, you see a lot of guys that um, you know are kind of like, well, we know we can expect him because he's a solid veteran, right? Like Urson, we know he was here in Milwaukee before and he played for Bud in, in Atlanta. Like we can count on him, right? Well, yeah, you can, but you can count on him for like I mean, a year and, or two and maybe, and then might not be he's gone. Count on him. He, he could fall off. A yeah, that's too true. With it at his uh, right his age uh, all right man this is awesome I, i've kept you for far too long here especially given what time it is now uh in the central time zone but uh follow locked on bucks uh you doing anything else or is it just a pod these days you know i i essentially retired from writing like a, a year and a half hard, ago two man. years ago it and takes a lot of time uh, exactly it's so the the podcasting is just much more uh uh, much better for someone. And ironically, you told me like, oh, thanks for preparing because I filled out the outline. Um, Eric name will tell you that I, I don't prepare anything ever. So um, <laughs> that that fits much better. Uh, that fits much you better wrote, in my lifestyle like these days. a thousand days. words to prepare for the show today. It's, it's that's, that's like the only writing I've done this year, Nate. So you get my only writing output of the yeah. year and it'll never be seen by, like, to, by, by anyone like else. My preparation is like, I do a lot of preparation, but it's all like bullet points. Uh, yeah. Whereas these, actually these episodes I do off the top of my head, um but uh you know just our regular pods during the year you know it's all bullet points you actually wrote like real like sentences and shit <laughs> i still have some prose inside of me i guess and it was just waiting to to get out since uh since i'm not writing articles but um anyway hopefully uh hopefully it was somewhat informative and uh i guess now we just have to wait and see uh see how the games play yeah, out Yeah, the only thing i've been writing recently is my wedding vows <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully don't stress too much too over rusty. it yeah 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 exactly all right man this is awesome thanks again all right thanks Nate. bye let's close today's show with another reminder that you shouldn't drive stoned find a sober ride take a cab use a ride sharing service your reaction times slow way down when you're high you not only put yourself in danger but everyone else around you if you feel different after having a substance you're going to drive differently it makes perfect sense and that is a great reason to make other arrangements when you have engaged in those sorts of activities Learn more at nitsa.gov. That's nhtsa.gov. Drive high, get a DUI.